here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. Exile, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome back to your favorite wrestling podcast, the Voices Wrestling Podcast. I am internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist, as heard on BBC Radio, the king of banter, the most compelling voice in wrestling media, a reasoned and well-explained man, Joe Lanza. And I am here with the captain, the secretly sassy captain, Milano Collection RK, Rich Krejci. Rich, how do you like your new moniker, Milano Collection RK? It's pretty great, yeah. By Joe Gagne, because if you thought you were going to avoid the beatdown I'm about to give you for your performance... On the, uh, on the on the match game. Now here, I'm going to be fair though, Rich. I honestly didn't think you did too bad. I think people are giving you way too hard of a time. I thought you did okay. I only had one major problem. Okay, I had two major problems with your performance on the show. Okay? I know one for sure. You got to know Footloose. That's like a legendary uh, tag team in professional wrestling. Yeah. I, I can't excuse you on that one. That's a okay. bad job out of you. And I was disappointed that you didn't know Axel and Ian Rotten were bad breed. That one uh, disappointed me as well. Uh, the the uh, the but with the one that everyone's giving you a hard time for. <laughs> but I felt bad for you because I knew that you knew, and you corrected yourself immediately. And I think Gagne gave you the points. He did give me the points, thankfully, yes, because this would have this would have been a cloud over me my entire. I probably would have quit the website if he did not give me those points. So, but you referred to the tag team of <laughs> Manabu Nakanishi and Strongman. Who uh, I think they last teamed with each other, what, the 2012 World Tag League or 2011? Yeah, I, I World think Tag it's League? either 11 or 12. It might be, yeah, it might be 11, but I, I thought it was 12, but it, it one of the two for sure. Of course, known as Muscle Orchestra. Uh, you refer to them as Speed Muscle, which may have been, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you could. The, the least name. fitting name for those two guys ever. <laughs> those could be the two slowest wrestlers. <laughs> In wrestling today, strongman John Anderson and Manabu Nakanishi, and your first instinct. Now, I know where you were going with that, the whole muscle thing. You got confused. You had Dragon Gate on the brain. You spit out speed muscle, but you quickly corrected yourself. Uh, But I thought you did excellent with the uh, 90s WWF stuff, which, by the way, in your defense, I'm going to defend you here. That was supposed to be the topic of the quiz. It was supposed to be 90s WWF. 
you, I, I gotta I, listen. You may not have beat Allen anyway because Allen is a very tough competitor in something like this. Oh, he's gonna be the hardest one throughout. And, and by the way, if people don't know, we're talking about uh, the five star match game, which is on this very podcast network. By the way, you can check it out. The first episode uh, was last week or about two weeks ago now at this point with uh, Joe Gagne hosting and myself and Alan Cunahan uh, competing on that, that game. But real fun half hour to definitely check that out. So, go yeah, ahead, you, now you may not have won anyway, but you definitely got harder questions than he did too. So I think you got screwed with the questions. Okay. See, um, you're seeing it my way. There's a few people that have agreed with that too. They've all slid into the DMs to tell me that. Not, not. <laughs> <laughs> they're scared to cross Mr. Gagney, which I, I understand. He's a very respectable man. Well, yeah, because they want to go on the show right. and they don't want Gagney to stick it to them, you know? But uh, you did get harder questions. I, but listen, Allen is a very tough foe. I think- no, he's going to win most times that he goes out there. I mean, that guy is so well-rounded and, and, and an encyclopedia of wrestling knowledge. And That's the thing. Like, well, well-rounded is the key with, right. the, with the Gagney gimmick because he, he can hit you off all over the place, you know? And Allen has a lot of well-rounded. There's two people I would not want to face. I would, I would fear facing Allen, and I would fear facing Chris Zellner. Those are the two people who I think I would just be in fear of facing. I don't think I'd be afraid of anyone else. I might not beat anybody else, everybody else, but those are the two guys where I think I'd be, an, uh, without question, an odds-on underdog against either one of those guys, and you ended up facing one of them. So that was a tough draw. I think you got tougher questions. I thought you did well, especially with a lot of that King of the Ring stuff. I would have been lost, okay, with those King of the Ring rounds, naming the people. I, I, I'm terrible with that kind of stuff, but I thought you did great with that. But not knowing Footloose, I mean, come on, that yeah. I, that one the I was. Pro tag teams. I, I, I always forget the actual names of the teams. Like I know that they exist, and I know the guys that are in them, but I have n- the names always escape me. It's just like, oh, I don't know the names of them at all, which is, is you know, to my detriment. I, I, something I'll, I'll improve on, and I have been trying to get better as as of late because uh, I was very embarrassed after that, so I was. Uh my head in shame after that but no it was really fun uh and, and yeah i'm excited to see who else jumps on the show and who else uh takes part in it because yeah it's real easy right now to say oh rich you should have done that well you're gonna see there's gonna be a lot of people uh gonna be put to that flame right there because i mean that that's it's different than like you knowing like right now you may know this or whatever but when it's like two people sitting there waiting for you you're being recorded you have a time limit like you guys throwing questions out at you it's a whole different animal than like yeah of course i know who that is like yeah you're gonna remember that one you know when the time's there and the pressure's on and the you know you're a little nervous you're a little you're you're thinking of everything everything's going through your head it's a lot it's a lot different sitting there you know in the peanut gallery saying oh yeah i do not know that Uh, you know we're gonna see a lot of people are a lot of people are gonna be humbled by the the great joe uh gagney here in a little bit so you gotta answer fast too that's yeah oh yeah he's a stickler too he's not gonna give you 35 seconds to sit and go hmm and we're not cheating I mean, obviously, he, that, that's one of the goals, too. Like, I have a computer in front of me. I could easily cheat, but that's not the fun of it. The fun of it is just doing it right off the top of your head, and that, that's hard. I mean, a lot of people, I think it's easy to sort of go back online to, to double-check or whatever. Or, yeah, I know. Let me look online. Okay, yeah, it's true. Yeah, that is right. Whatever. But, yeah, this is – you have, you know, 15 seconds to, you know, take it out of your brain and immediately say it. It's it's not easy. You either know it or you don't is the bottom line. Yeah, and you right. Gotta, because he doesn't, he's not going to give you all day because he doesn't want people looking it up. So, you know, not that I would no, listen, you're two upstanding fine gentlemen and, uh, you know, Alan Cunahan and Rich Krejci, but he might get some nefarious characters on there who might have the old Google out. You know what I mean? So, you know, you got to answer fast. I thought you did. Listen, I didn't think you did nearly as bad as people said. So uh, I think there, there would have been plenty of people that you actually would have beat. And I think you would have done a little better if the questions were swapped because I know there were a few that Alan got and I could just. Because I, I kind of have – I've been talking to you for six years about this shit. I know what you know. And Alan got some questions where I was thinking, oh, Rich wanted that. <laughs> I know. There was a few that I answered for. I was like, oh, come on. Just give me the points. Like, there was one yeah. I went to someone godly. I gave, like, the entire match card of, like, WWE breakdown in your house or whatever. I forgot what, what the hell the question was or whatever. And I was like, give me points for that. Come on. 
You were Perfect. chomping at the bit to prove that you knew the other answers. You were just, yeah. <laughs> right. But he kept giving you like these, you know, 1993, you know, uh, all Japan. That's not your forte. That's not the rich crate wheelhouse. You know what I mean? And, and uh, you know, so I did, I did think you got, I don't, listen, I don't think Gagne screwed you on purpose, but uh, I no, do no. think you got the short end of the stick with the question. Little known secret. I was supposed to be on that show with you two guys. Yeah, you but, bailed. Uh, You're scared. I, I get it. It's fine. Listen, I ran with the tail between my legs. No, I was at the tail end of my, uh, you know, awful, you know, work thing where I couldn't get out of work ever. Uh, so it would have been a three-way dance. And who knows? You may not have gotten all those impossible questions uh, had there been a third person in the mix. So you got screwed all the way around, Krejci. You thought I was going to come on here and bury you, but I came on here and defended you. How about that? It's a little weird. I don't know how to. I don't know how to take this. But Listen, thank you. I'm I appreciate honest, it. I'm an honest so. man. I'm an honest man. <laughs> I call it like I see it. Uh, here's the thing though. We got no time for this BS banter. Okay. We got like a million topics to get to. Uh, I don't know how we're going to cram this into three hours. The last show we did two weeks ago, what did we go? 15 minutes over. Yeah. I had a, I had chopped like numerous sidebars and, and, and tangents or whatever. A lot of good tangents too. The best tangents we've had, uh, in quite some time as well. All had to get chopped just so we could stand at three hours. So 15 minutes over. So we got to stay on the ball here. Because we have seven nights of the G1 uh, <laughs> battleground. We're going to do some Dragon Gate, which we haven't done Dragon Gate in forever. People love when we do the Dragon Gate. Uh, a combination of it would always get pushed to the third hour and we would run out of time. And then we haven't done a ton of shows together over the last couple months for various reasons. Uh, but we both sat down, we watched the Kobe world and we're going to do a thorough review of the dragon gate. I know a lot of people are going to be into that. And then, uh, I have a new segment I'm going to introduce that even rich doesn't know about. He's going to get caught off guard with this one, a brand new segment to the show. I think people are going to enjoy that. And then, uh, the one thing we didn't get to, I think, was the uh, the Big Japan, right? We're not going to do the Big Japan. Yeah, we, we promised we would do that a few weeks ago, and it's just like now it's become ancient history. And and I watched a few of the matches. I think you may have watched a few, but we didn't watch the entire card. And like, there's some death net, and I don't. Do I really want to watch? Like, do I really want to watch a four week old concrete death match? Like, not really. I don't. I mean, we thought it'd be fun and at the time. It was going to be a good idea when we were deciding, hey, we're, let's talk about this. But now with G one, now with Kobe World, with Battleground, with some other topics, it. I mean, now it'd just be silly to, to do it. But we are gonna we're gonna get back into the pro mix a little bit we will definitely have a, a bounce around japan sometime in the next uh, uh the near future just because we've been you know as you said we've been not doing shows consistently it's been some issues with you know us having our schedules together it's summer it's busy time for me it's busy time for you so yeah it's been hard to watch a lot of the uh you know miscellaneous pro but we are going to get back into that and definitely have a bouncing around japan uh sometime pretty soon but uh yeah it will not be this week unfortunately i am mourning the loss of the coke zero yeah, let's talk about that. We, we definitely need to talk about that, maybe first and foremost. That's, that's an important topic that cannot be thrown to the side. The Coke Zero, an important part of the fabric of this show. I'm a big fan of the Coke Zero, as everybody knows. Unofficial sponsor of the show. I wish they'd throw us some of that Coke money. But they have the, not that Pablo Escobar Coke money. Yeah, I would take both. I would take both. I actually, I'd probably take the, uh, the Pablo Escobar Coke money more than You know what? I would take it too. Money. <laughs> you know, money's money, right? Uh, but the Coca-Cola money, the Coke Zero is being discontinued. This news came down today. It's being replaced by something called Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. <laughs> now, very descriptive name. I mean, you know what you're getting out of that, I guess. It's very wordy. Okay, I don't, you know, I'm not going to go to a restaurant and say, uh, yes, I'd like the Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. I mean, it's just too wordy. Um, you know, I was hoping it was just maybe a rebranding. 
And it's the same delicious product, that sweet, sweet nectar that I basically live on. Uh, but apparently it's a different product altogether. They're saying it's going to have a uh, a new and improved recipe and a new and improved taste. I will believe it when I taste it, Rich. I am disappointed as soon as this podcast is over, as we discussed off air. I'm heading to my local supermarket. I am stocking up on the Coke Zero because I'm in fear uh, that it's no longer going to be on the shelves very shortly. Um, it's a sad day. I'm actually more broken up and sad about this than I have been about certain, you know, deaths in my uh, family uh, in the past. This is a this is a terrible day. Well, to be fair, um, you probably spent more time with Coke Zero than you have most of those people that you're talking about. I've spent more time with Coke Zero than maybe any person. I mean, I'm drinking Coke Zero right now, Rich. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you can't beat it. You can't beat the delicious Coca-Cola taste with zero calories. I mean, you just can't beat it. I was found that I, I I don't like uh, I don't like most colas. I hate, I, I really don't like Coca Cola at all. But uh, Coke Zero I, I have had before and I've enjoyed it a little bit. I mean, it seems to be a little less syrupy than 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 actual Coke, and that's why I don't really ever drink regular Coke. I don't really even drink Pepsi. I'd ever do that. But Coke Zero is the one that if I am going to have a cola like that, that's usually the one I do have. But more times than not, I don't have them. But I, I I've enjoyed the taste. I mean, I can definitely see the the attraction that a lot of people have to it. It's it seems like it has less of the harshness uh, uh, of Coke or even Diet Coke as well, which seems to be a little rough. So Coke Zero had a nice Diet smoothness Coke. to it. Diet Coke is disgusting. Yeah, I don't know what the taste of that is. Yeah, it's really weird. It's, it's, just, it's rough going down your throat. It doesn't taste good. It just feels like air going down your Like, Yeah, it's very strange. I don't know what the hell Diet Coke, Coke is. Coke Zero is smooth. It's got a smooth flavor. It goes down easy, but you still get that, that uh, you know, that For the that record, they're not sponsoring us, as Joe is, is <laughs> seductively describing Coke Zero. I, they are not sponsoring us. Coke so. It goes down easy. It's got the stylish black label. You know, I'm going to miss the black label because this Coca-Cola Zero Sugar is going to have the traditional Coke red label. Which seems silly, uh, but, you know, that's fine. It seems very silly. You know, confusing but the they, market now. That's really... They're confusing the market. But they want people to know that it's different than the Coke Zero, you see? But it's not as if the Coke Zero doesn't sell, okay? Rich, I'm a man who works in the restaurant business, as you know. Believe me, it sells, okay? I've worked in restaurants where it sells better than the Coke. That's a fact. But I mean, this is very disappointing all the way around. You know, I have a feeling this could be a situation. Do you remember the new Coke? I do. The Coke two, Coke two, new Coke. I do. I I was very young, but I do remember the the the, uh, the anger and the vitriol that, that that new Coke got. And yeah, I wasn't old enough to probably have it, but I do remember my parents and and my parents' friends. Like it was the talk. It was like the water cooler talk for the longest time. It's like ah, I can't believe that these assholes would do this. And and Joe, for some background for some people that don't know what what that is. What what was this story with the new Coke? They rolled out a new recipe for Coca-Cola Classic, and it was new Coke, and people just fucking went ape shit because it just didn't taste it. People enjoyed the old school Coke flavor. They didn't want this new Coke. Right, literally and for like got- 60 years. Like it's an institution of America, and then you're like, ah, we're just going to change it. Do you guys care? Like, You can't do that, especially when you have the – here's the thing. Here's what was so stupid about it. You're the market leader, right? <laughs> like by a mile. Like – you're number one, and Pepsi's like number six in my as well. You know what I mean? Like you're you're the market leader by a mile. People love this shit. What, what the what are you fucking with? Like why change it? And it backfired very badly. And they had to bring back the old recipe. I think what it was only a matter of months, right? I don't even think it lasted a year. I'm trying to look it up right now. I know it was not quick, and they made it Coke Two. Then it was Coke Two for quite a while. Like I think they kept Coke Two around for maybe a decade or so. Uh, but yeah, it was it was not long, <laughs> long for the world. Um, right, because they eliminated the original Coke and rolled out the new Coke. 
Right. The, the, old, the old Coke was just gone. Nuts. Like you can't, you're not going to have it. It's yeah, it done. Gone. We have a new Coke. It's better. Uh, we promise. And, and it's like, no, <laughs> no. So they brought back the old Coke. And then like you said, they turned new Coke into Coke too. And then no one bought that shit. And then it just faded off. And I remember it being in stores forever. And I never, ever, ever remember ever seeing anybody buy it. So I'm pretty sure like the Coke twos that were on the aisles or whatever, were just there from like 1985. Uh, even in like the two yeah. thousands, until they finally, I think they officially discontinued. It says here per Wikipedia, uh, July two thousand two is when uh, New Coke was was officially oh, it lasted that long. Holy yeah, it shit! It introduced nineteen eighty five, discontinued two thousand two. I I'm I'm positive nobody actually drank it at any point during that time. That's much longer than I thought. You know this Coke this this Coke this Coca Cola Zero Sugar gimmick. Apparently, this is already being sold in thirty countries now. Rich, as you know, this is the number one wrestling podcast in the Isle of Man. Um, confirmed. This is the uh, this podcast goes to how many how many countries listen to this? Something like uh, uh, we have quite a few. I mean, it's 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 crazy. Yeah, it's somewhere around maybe forty seven fifty, somewhere around that like range. That. Yeah, it's, I, it's I just pulled lot, that number yeah. out of my ass, but I'm glad you confirmed it. No, it's it's, it's um, similar to that. It's around fifty or so. It's a lot of countries. No. There's like a few countries that I've never even heard of that listen to the show. So we we thank them. Yeah. So if you're in one of those countries where this product is out, I want to hear from you, and I want to know how it compares to the Coke Zero because it says that it's being served in thirty countries already. Um. <laughs> so I'm because I'm, I'm nervous, Rich. Rich, I'm nervous. Here, here's the most 19 late 80s thing in the history of the world, right here. Um, at the beginning of 1985, however, Coke's marketing team found a strategy by returning to one of the original motives for changing the drink: the youth market. Max Headroom, the computer-generated media personality played by Mark Furrier, was choos- chosen to replace Bill Cosby as the spokesman for Coke's new Catch the Wave campaign. Do you remember Max Hedrum? I do, yes. I mean, I, I, I've I seen. I, I was not alive for Max yeah. Hedrum. But, um, yeah, I do love the idea that, well, Bill, Co- Bill Cosby's not doing it for the youth, so let's get Max Hedrum in there. Um, yeah, I was... Hmm. Max Hedrum was was something else. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a bygone era. Bill Cosby, that, being a marketing a, guy. Max Hedrum eventually had a uh, Saturday morning cartoon show. Um, it was actually... Not as big a flop as you think. Like no, the Max Headroom was around for around for a while and like kind of a big deal. Yeah, and the idea was it was just a head, like in a computer, like because you know computers were exotic at that time. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, you had like your <laughs> Commodore sixty four. Like one kid on the block had a Commodore sixty four, right? And like everyone would go to that kid's house after school and play like these awful public domain games on floppy yeah, really disks. Bad. I, I have a Commodore 64, which I bought like not that long ago. It's, it's fucking horrible. Like, why? Hold on a second. Why did you buy a Commodore 64? It was, it was $2 at like a flea market. And I was like, hey, why the hell not? And what like, are you came doing with, a, with this thing? Yeah. Well, apparently they're worth a lot of money now. So so it's an investment? It is. So I clean the bad boy up and um, plan on selling it sometime soon. So we'll see. Yeah, I tell you, Rich, you're something else. You are you are something else. <laughs> I thought it would be fun. I didn't buy it for like investment purposes. I was like, oh, this might be, but it's like Atari. Like people think like there's some people that have that that sort of attachment to Atari or whatever. Go back and play any Atari game. They fucking suck. Every single one of them. They're all fucking garbage. You know, this is the only game that's not. I, I gotta tell you, I'll, I'm gonna disagree with you. No, you're you know? so wrong. you're I just too you old. Go... Like you didn't know anything else. Like <laughs> I think you can go so far back. Uh, with the video games to where, look, I agree. Like, you know what? Here's what I'm going to tell you. You know what generation of games all stink? It's the 16-bit era. Those are unplayable now. I think if you go past that to the 8-bit or the Atari era, they're more playable than the 16-bit era. Yeah, I'm going to say like the PlayStation Nintendo 64 are the hard ones to to play these days. 16, like, that's like Genesis, I'll Super Nintendo, that still like Sprite. Like, mm-hmm. 
Well, that's a big era. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. People are gonna get upset. We're talking about too many video games here, but that, that's a big era that you're you're caught in there because you got 16, and then you have like the 32 slash 64 bit era. Right. I think those age poorly now compared to the other. Whereas if you go back really far, those games still have a certain charm because they're so simple that they're actually more playable than that that sort of weird middle era where it's just like, oh, they look bad, they play bad, I can't do this. So, um, I mean, listen, let me tell you something. If I stuck Pong in front of you right now, I bet you would play Pong. Yeah, you, you'd, mock it if, you'd mock it at first, but you'd get into some intense Pong battles with, with a friend if you had the Pong over there. It's simple but effective, you know? You, you're telling me you, it, you, you wouldn't play like... Uh, Pac-Man or Frogger in this day and age? I bet you'd get into that. More so than, say, like the original Tomb Raider. I bet that'd yeah, be that Yeah, that's what now. I was bringing up. The original Tomb Raider is completely unplayable now. Like, if anybody even thinks about playing it, it's the absolute, like, in four seconds, you're like, this is the worst game I've ever played. I'm not doing this. Like, yeah, the camera bounces around. Like, you know, her boobs are square. Like, the rocks are weird. You're just like, I'm done. I'm not doing this. Yeah, yeah. But see, you can play Tecmo Bowl tomorrow. But try to play Madden '95. No, no, I play Madden '95. Madden '95 is all right. Tech Bowl is all right too. But no, I'm, I'm talking about like like the difference of PlayStation era with Atari era is real basic. Like that that's really really back there. Like yeah, I'll play Joust or you know maybe even a Frogger or like a Pong or whatever. But yeah, the, I don't know. Like going real deep into the Atari. Eh, eh. Did you ever play that hor- that horrendous ET game? The one that got buried. I never did. No, I can't. I mean, it, it'd be impossible to play. That, I owned it. But. Do you still have it? Uh, my brother does, yeah. He kept all that shit. It That's was, a good idea. Now, that is as, more so than my Commodore 64. Yeah, I mean, it was as horrendous as you would, as you have heard. It was just terrible. Um, but yeah, we we I, we had that as kids, and you know, there was not there was no internet back then, Rich, back in the 1930s. Um, which is your next joke? Sticking ball. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, the big wheel, the big wheel that you're like hitting with a stick down the street. I guess I don't know what like that's you don't, you don't, for. You don't know the game's horrendous. Your parents just buy it because they, you know what I mean? Like, and then you're sitting here trying to play it and you can't figure it out. Like, oh, you know, yeah. you're well, no, that's old. that's where I always like because I'll, I'll see kids, you know, and and even adults these days like bitching about the quality of games and stuff. I'm like, you have no idea what it was like. Like, I, and you know, I didn't grow up in the the Atari days, but I grew up in you know. Uh, late Nintendo, Sega Genesis, that area or whatever. Like, you do not know the pain of on a Friday. Your mom's like, "Yep, we'll go to Blockbuster, we'll rent a game or whatever." And then you bring that thing home, and it fucking sucks, and you're stuck with that all weekend. Stuck like, that's it. your game now. It's garbage. You can't get past the first level. It's broken. It doesn't work. Or worse yet, it's over in like an hour, and you beat it in an hour, and you're just like, "God damn it!" <laughs> like, this is what and I it's got now. Friday. It's Friday, yeah. and it's eight o'clock, and it's <laughs> and I'm done. That's you're it. That's my weekend. Until Monday. Right. Not going to go outside or something. This is stupid. <laughs> the worst. But uh, yeah, so Coke Zero, no more. Yeah. Very sad day. I will, this is, I'm going to take photos of my stocking up of the Coke Zero um, at the grocery store. And uh, yeah, I'm going to fill my pantry with as much Coke Zero as will fit. Rich, I really do love this product. It's not shtick. I, I don't know what I'm going to do without the Coke Zero. Um, Here's a real, real quick before we move on. Uh, this, this we do have to talk about because on the uh, new Coke. Uh, Wikipedia, we have uh, a few conspiracy theories, Joe. So I want your opinion on these conspiracy theories about New Coke. All right? All right. Yeah. So number one, the company intentionally changed the formula, hoping customers would be upset with the company and demand the original formula to return, which in turn would cause sales to spike, which they did. 
You know, that's a real pro wrestling kind of theory. Yeah, right fact there, or right? fiction there. Yeah, that was a little swerve. Yeah, what do you think? No, I think that's uh, that, that actually in hindsight, it would have been brilliant. But I think it's also too risky. I, I don't think that. No, I don't. Yeah, and that's the, the CEO of Coke said we're not that dumb and we're not that smart is what his quote. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think they were going to say we're going to tank an entire quarter's worth of sales, uh, you know, it, 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 to gamble that they're going to bounce back even twice as high when we reintroduce. No, I don't believe that they did. I don't think any, the person in charge, I, that would take someone with an enormous set of balls to try something like yeah, that. Yeah, sit on a board and say, hey, look, we're going to absolutely tank this entire company. The one that you guys are all bank, <laughs> that you've all put tons of money yeah. into. <laughs> we're going to tank it, but trust me, it's going to work out. In the end. That, that's <laughs> yeah. That's not good. All right, this one. Um, the switch was planned all along to cover the change from a sugar-sweetened Coke to a much less expensive high-fructose corn syrup. Again, no, because I don't think someone's going to sit in a boardroom uh, you know, with, with millions upon millions of dollars on the line of their own personal money on top of and, – and, and, and no, I don't I, – that's too – again, too risky. I don't buy it. Now, this, this one's been backed by quite a few people including a Time Magazine article that talks about it. Uh, it, it was provided it, it provided cover for the final removal of all coca derivatives from the product to placate the Drug Enforcement Administration. This is part of, in theory, uh, Reagan's war on drugs. Wait, so to remove... To remove, because obviously, for people that know, the, the original coke had, you know, some faint uh, of, of cocaine, uh, coca derivatives inside of it like that's that's where the name kind of comes from little by little they got rid of that and, and, and it was honestly it wasn't even little by little it was pretty much all gone by the 50s per everybody but according to this theory like there was still a little bit maybe left in the formula a little bit still there well the new coke allowed them to in between that time take away all that and then when they brought back the other coke it no longer had the coca well why wouldn't they just remove the rest of the cocaine from the fucking recipe and avoid all of those shenanigans in doing so I don't think people would have gave them a much of a hard time if that was the You're right. If they said, "Hey, we're going to take the cocaine out of this," sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, do you guys really mind? You, know? you guys mind if we remove the cocaine from this drink? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. yeah. Do you mind if we remove this heavy narcotic from this uh, beverage <laughs> that you feed your children? Yeah. I mean, I don't think people are going to have a huge issue with that. I don't think there's any conspiracies here, Rich. I think they fucked up. They done goofed, and somehow they survived it. So um, it ended up working out. Remember uh, 30, uh, about, uh, about 25 minutes ago when we said we have too much to talk about and we can't talk Way about Way too much things. to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's get it. Before we do that, though, Joe, I do want to let you know that this week's episode of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Dollar Shave Club. And we've been telling you guys about Dollar Shave Club for quite a while, but some of you are still holding out why we have no idea, but let's talk about it here a little bit. Dollar Shave Club, as we've mentioned, is the smarter choice, plain and simple. Joe and I have found it out. Hundreds of our listeners have found it out. And now it's time for you holdout to figure that out get a great shave at a great price delivered right to your door no more trips to the store no more asking for someone to unlock the glass case you don't have time for that you have g1 to watch you ain't got time to be sitting at a grocery store and asking some you know boob to come open the case for you No, you got time for that instead you're going to get Dollar shave clubs executive razor sent right to your door and better yet you're com- going to combine that with dr carver's shave butter and you'll be all ready to go joe and i are huge fans of dr carver's and we hoard it for far, uh, far longer than we should. Uh, I still do. I still have like trace amounts of it that I, I, I'm saving for the next wedding that I have to go to. But uh, it's pretty good. But anyway, today you can finally make the smarter choice and join Dollar Shave Club for a limited time only. New members 
Get the first month of the Executive Razor and a tube of Dr. Carver's Shea Butter for only 5 bucks with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks per month. That's a $15 value for only 5 bucks. In your first month box, you'll receive an awesome weighty handle, a full cassette of four cartridges, and a tube of the unbeatable Dr. Carver's Shea Butter. After your first month, replacement cartridges ship automatically at the regular price. No hidden fees, no commitments, and you can cancel anytime you would like. You can get those offers today exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. Once again, that's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. All right, we got to talk to you one, right? Yeah, we got to do. I think G1's got to be the, uh, the top story that we uh, tackle here today for sure. Yeah, so uh, we, we think about, you know, obviously, and for people that are listening to this now, we are recording this on Wednesday night. We're fully aware that by the time most of you guys listen to this, that Thursday show is going to happen the night eight, uh, which is the B-Block night as well is going to happen. So some of the scores that we're going to mention here are going to be incorrect as far as the B-Block, because things are going to happen. We'll probably predict things that will, will you know, not happen or anything like that. So just so you're aware, as a little bit of a warning, we're recording this on Wednesday nights. It's uh, July 26th. So just so you keep that in mind, where if you're listening to this on Thursday night, you're like, these idiots, Okada did this. Or da, da, da. We, we did not watch the Thursday morning show. We're recording this on Wednesday night. This so, is through okay. night seven. Yeah, correct. Yes. So this is this. All this information is through night seven. So, yeah. We can't keep up. Let's be honest. Like, if we tried to, with, with our recording schedule, we, we'd have to record every single show on what? Mo- not even Monday. Like, this week was insane. Like, I don't know what day we could have possibly You've got to do a daily You can't show. stay ahead. You cannot stay ahead. You've got to do a daily. Yeah, and we're not doing that. <laughs> we could, but not daily three hours. I'm not doing that. Yes. Yes. But, uh, yeah, we decided what we're going to do here is we're going to go uh, uh, wrestler by wrestler, kind of break down what their G1 has been like so far, uh, what points they have as of night seven, uh, and then discuss some of the standout matches they've had where we see them go in the rest of the tournament, just stuff like that. So kind of talk about each guy individually, less so than going, okay, Joe, night two, let's talk about every match night, because that's going to take nine hours and we don't have that time. So uh, let's start here with the A block. Obviously, this is updated because we've seen this through night seven, as we said. Um, leading the A block, or tied for the lead, there's actually threw a tie up there, is Tetsuya Naito. So, Joe, I'm going to ask you real quick as we um, quickly break down, though, uh, the matches that he's had on the G1. There we go. I lost my spot there. It is back. Okay. Uh, as far as Naito, he, um, so far his record, he lost to Bad Luck Fale. Uh, he beat Ibushi, beats Yuji Nagata, and beat Yoshihashi. Of those uh, Yuji Nagata matches, I think the one everyone's going to pretty much talk about, and my still favorite match of G1 so far, uh, is Naito Ibushi, which I mean, that was just something special. Yeah, that's uh, that's my second favorite match of the tournament. But I gave it four and three quarter stars. There was just one match that I gave five stars to in this tournament that we'll talk about a little later. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Naito Ibushi was just a brilliant match, and I think um, you know Ibushi is a guy who uh, is having a tremendous tournament. But uh, Naito specifically. Um, he's having a good tournament. I don't think he's one of the two or three top standouts, but he would be right there on that next tier with uh, that match. Obviously, the Ibushi match being his uh, his standout match. I liked the Yoshihashi match. I thought that was a nice little match. Um, the the Fale match. Look, guys are doing what they can with Fale. You know what I mean? No one's having great matches with Fale, but uh, I, I think the matches are watchable. The I was, I was surprised that Naito lost to Fale. Um, so from that perspective... Um, I enjoyed it. I did not really, you know, the Naito Nagata match from night, uh, from night uh, seven, night seven. I guess that yeah. was, I thought that was uh, the least interesting of Nagata's matches, uh, honestly. And I don't think it was totally on the wrestlers. I thought they were telling a good story in that match. Uh, the crowd was really tough uh, for, for night seven for everybody. And um, particularly for that match. Um, the match did get sloppy down the stretch. There, the closing stretch of the Naito Nagata match was very sloppy. 
Um, and, and that's what I think hurt the match more than anything, even the poor crowd. But yeah, Naito's having a solid tournament. I think he's on the second tier right now. I wouldn't put him on the first tier of guys who are killing it. But uh, he's right there in that second tier, and he's right in the mix. I still think he's the favorite to win the whole thing. Uh, and he's in a three-way tie at the top of the block right now with Zack Sabre Jr. and Tanahashi, with Zack Sabre Jr., of course, having the head-to-head win over Tanahashi, and none of those other guys have faced each other yet. So, Yeah, so let's, so let's get right into Zack Sabre. Because, um, yeah, I don't really have – as far as Naito, real quickly, um, yeah, the Ibushi match, obviously my favorite so far of the entire tournament. Other than that, I, I, Naito's performances have been okay, but they haven't been great. And I think he, he's gotten – I think we're going to see a few coming up over here in a little bit because he hasn't fought Goto yet. He hasn't fought Makabe, uh, uh, Ishii, but I guess Makabe. Makabe is having a pretty damn good turn. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But, yeah, Tanahashi. So there's still a lot Sabre. So there's a lot left for Naito. I think he's really gone through what I would – consider probably his worst stretch here with with Fale and, and Yoshihashi the Yoshihashi match was fine but you know there's a certain limit to, to what Yoshihashi can really put together and a certain crowd investment that you get with Hashi so let's face it he's faced one of the big time guys in his block he's faced Ibushi yeah, yeah. and it was an incredible match yeah and and, right. and Yuji Nagata has been a surprise he's been very good very competent but a lot of the Nagata thing and as you mentioned if, if the crowd's not in Nagata a lot of the Nagata thing is is a little lost because you know technically I, I've enjoyed Nagata a lot. And we'll get to him a little bit more when we talk about him. But a lot of it is, and, and the draw for me has been the investment of the crowd because every crowd so far this entire tournament has been like, all right, this is it. This is our last time to see Nagata in the G one. We want, we'll do anything to have this guy win. Like that's our guy. We're gonna root, and that's what makes his matches so much more important. And the way he works them, he works to the crowd and does that sort of stuff. So if you do have a crowd that's even a little you know, little down or a little not enthused or, or not in the match so much, it will drag it down a little bit just because I think that Nagata has been getting so much from the crowds. So yeah, it, it, it's Naito's due for, he's going to have some great matches coming up, you know, for a little bit. So if he, even if he's uneven right now, uh, I think when it's all said and done, we're going to talk about Naito having, having a really great performances all around. I mean, he's already set the pace in a lot, a lot of ways with that Ibushi match. So uh, let's move on here to Zach Sabre Jr. I think it's a big surprise so far uh, early in this tournament with the six points. Uh, it's pretty interesting because people, I, I did see a few people on Twitter mentioning this, and we were discussing, you know, if Zack Sabre wasn't in the tournament, who would be in and this sort of thing. And somebody brought up to us a very good comp, which is, is almost exactly how, you know, at this point in the tournament, I see Zack Sabre. And someone said he's basically the Shelton Benjamin replacement. And this is every single Shelton Benjamin year, we every single year on the show during the G1, maybe by night seven or night eight, you and I come on the show and go, oh, my God, Shelton Benjamin has, you know, eight points. I can't believe it. And then he ends with like 10 or he ends with eight or whatever. Zach Sabre at six right now is surprising, but I, I, I think that he, we're going to see a little bit of losses here. I don't know. Is he going to be in the mix till the final night? What do you think? I could see the Shelton Benjamin comps to a point um, in that he's sort of that other singles guy in Suzuki gun, you know, slotted blow Minoru Suzuki. But I think they have bigger plans for Zach Sabre Jr. than they ever had for Shelton Benjamin. Shelton Benjamin peaked at challenging for the Intercontinental title against um, Nakamura. I think he had two matches against Nakamura in 2013, maybe it was, uh, around that time. Um, And then really, you know, like you said, was a guy who G1, the one G1, he came out like a house of fire, won his first three or four matches and then disappeared. Um, I think they have bigger plans for Sabre than than, than Shelton Benjamin. So I I don't entirely agree with that. And I think he'll be a player in the block um, going into the – uh, last couple of nights. I mean, I thought there were two results to me that were patently obvious coming in, and that was Zack Sabre Jr. beating Tanahashi on night one. I tweeted that out before the show began. I said, Zack Sabre Jr. is winning. That's a lot. You can lock it up. He's beating Tanahashi. And the other result was Makabe beating Goto a couple nights ago uh, when they main evented. I thought that was just a great spot to give Makabe a big win in the main event. Um, and, and he was a huge favorite in that building. But back to Zack Sabre Jr., um, yeah, so he's obviously going to get an Intercontinental title match against Tanahashi. 
Uh, he not only beat Tanahashi, but then they immediately teased it in the post-match. So I think for that reason alone, you're going to see him have, he's not a guy who's going to fade away and have a losing record. You see what I mean? Because he's yeah, no, got it. Sure. Yeah. That, that might be a headlining match on a split show against Tanahashi later in the year, or it might be a semi-main event match at a King of pro wrestling or something like that. So they're going to have to keep Zack Sabres Jr. Strong. I think he'll finish with around 10 points or something like that and be right in the mix until the second to last day or the last day. I think he's been excellent here. I've really enjoyed his matches. I, I love the Tanahashi match, and I really, really love that Kota Ibushi match. That's probably my third or fourth favorite match of the entire tournament so far, the Zack Sabre Jr. Kota Ibushi, Kota Ibushi match. Um, I, I'll probably talk more about it when we talk about Kota because I'm in love with Kota in this tournament. Uh, but Zack, and he tried his hardest with Fale. Um, I don't know if that was the show that you saw or not. I know there's one show you didn't see. Um, uh, seven that would yeah, yeah i did not that was seven i believe that he was on yeah i haven't seen seven i mean yet. he tried his hardest with Fale, um and and the finish was wonky because Fale they did kind of a, 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 a they did kind of a complicated finish and Fale lost his balance and it looked really bad because they counted to three but his shoulder was clearly up but that wasn't on saber i thought saber tried his hardest and, and they they told a story in that match the crowd was just silent for it because they didn't know who to root for um you know they, they don't like suzuki gun at all and Fale is part of this weird dynamic where half, you know, there's some members of Bullet Club that are baby faces and there's some that are heels. And Fale is on the heel side. So the fans really had no one to root for in that. And they were dead silent, despite the fact that Sabre Jr. and Fale really had a good plan. And then the finish was bad. But other than that, I've enjoyed Sabre's, Sabre Jr.'s uh, tournament a lot. Um, and, and look, other than Desperado hopping on the apron at the tail end of the Tanahashi match, which annoyed me to a point, uh, but it didn't really have a huge impact on the finish. They've stayed away from the Suzuki gun stuff in his matches, uh, which early on in the tournament, it looked like there was going to be heavy Suzuki gun involvement in his matches and Minoru Suzuki's matches, but they've gotten away from it now. And I'm happy that they have. Yeah, they really, they really have. And, and, and even if there is a point where, where Desperado will get on the apron or Desperado will do something very inconsequential though, like something like numerous things will happen after that to let you know that it wasn't Zack Sabre Jr winning because Desperado did something. It, it's Desperado did something, but it has nothing to do with the finish. It, it was Zack Sabre when it's all said and done for the wins that he's had, which, uh, you know, wins against Fale, wins against Roshi Tanahashi, wins against uh, Yoshihashi. Every single one of those has been because Zack Sabre was better than the other guy versus he was able to distract the guy or, or, or Desperado was able to do something. So that, that's been, uh, I think, really a big help to, to Zack Sabre. And it's been delivered. It's why he's been delivering great matches because I, I could definitely see going down a lot on the ratings if it is Desperado comes in and hits somebody with a chair and then Zack puts him in the, the oh, arm bar or whatever. That. That's not the same thing. That sucks. Oh, not, I would, but this, I think, and, and I, I think you agree as well, like even if Desperado has done something, even if Desperado, it, there's been enough happening after that where it's not clearly – oh, he won because Desperado did this. It's Zack Sabre's winning because Zack Sabre is better than that guy on that night or whatever. Zack Sabre's a great wrestler. That's why he's winning, which is exactly how I we always wanted to book him. And, and that's why you and I both did not like the Suzuki Gun thing from the start because it's just like, no, Sabre is so good just being Zack Sabre Jr. And it, it, it seemed really miscast to have him be the guy that gets help from other people. Like, he just yeah, didn't and, need that. And, 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 and he hasn't needed this. Yeah, and you're seeing now when they're not involved how he has these awesome matches. I mean, that Kota Ibushi match was incredible. The Tanahashi match. Now, look, that Desperado spot at the end, Tanahashi knocked him off the apron immediately. But I do think the story they were telling there was that that slight moment of interruption is what gave Zack Sabre Jr. enough time to counter the high fly flow. Um, and it did bother me a little, but again, like you're saying, it wasn't them running in with chairs and the referee does, takes a bump and all that. So it's it, it it's definitely been toned down. So 
Uh, yeah, I've I've enjoyed Zach Saber Jr.'s stuff. I think he's been one of the top performers in the tournament overall. I would put him on that first tier. Uh, you wanted to wait to talk about the uh, the Ibushi Saber match when we get to Ibushi. I mean, I guess we can do it now, or let's do it. Let's, 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 let's have a big, gigantic Kodobushi love fest when we get to him. So yeah. that's because okay. I think there were equal parts in that match, but I like Ibushi a little bit more. So we'll, we'll talk about Ibushi when we get there. Uh, otherwise, tied uh, again, as we mentioned, uh, top the A block, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and uh, his uh, uh, lineup right now. He uh, he beat Fale, uh, he beat Goto, he beat Makabe, and of course, he lost to Zack Saber Jr. Uh, what have you thought about Tanahashi so far this tournament? Because uh, I, I have a, a strong thought about this. So I'm, I'm curious what you have to say to the Fale match. We've seen Tanahashi face Fale countless times, and they're always good matches because he really gives his body to Fale. This one was a little different. I love the count. I like, I love the count out finish because you just don't see a ton of it. And we've seen two of them in this tournament already. I thought the Zack Sabre Jr. match we talked about already was an excellent match. The Yuji Nagata match, I think, I mean, look, that what that may not have been the best match of the tournament, but it, you know, it's. I think that will go down as sort of a a a a legendary G one match. That yeah, those it's in my top had. five for sure. I mean, even if it's not technically or what, I it, it was absolutely awesome. I mean, that that's one that I will go back and rewatch, and that's one that is on my short list to rewatch at the end of the year for match of the year. I mean, it, yeah, it, 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 was, it was there. Like two different generations of aces going against each other. Uh, Tanahashi working heel. Uh, he was smart enough to work heel in that match because he knew the people were going to be behind Nagata. Um, the Goto match on night seven was a little disappointing. It wasn't bad, but it was nothing that you're going to go crazy about either. Probably in the three and three quarter range somewhere in there. Uh, but yeah, I think Tanahashi has had a strong tournament. Um, you know how I feel about Tanahashi coming into these tournaments, you know, with his quote unquote injuries, um, you know, <laughs> I don't listen, know how many times we say I, it again, four years in a row, I guess, but we'll do it again next year. Every, this April, every we'll, year, we'll talk about it again. April 2018, year, we'll be here. He's, he's hurt early in the year, comes into the G1 hurt, has to overcome these injuries. These matches are always built around whatever the injury is, whether it's the back, the neck, and now it's the bicep or whatever. Um, look, I'm not saying the guy's not hurt. I, okay. By all accounts, he's hurt. Whatever. Maybe he is. Would it shock me if he's not hurt? No. I think he's smart enough to do this every year. I think he's uh, he understands that this adds some juice to his matches. I think he understands that this adds focus to his matches. Uh, whether he's hurt or not, whether the injury's legitimate or not, he's smart enough to work the matches around these, these quote-unquote injuries. Uh, do I think uh, over the years that some of these injuries were works? I do. Uh, do I know which ones? No. Um, do I think that he has played up these injuries every year? I think he does. I don't think he's nearly as hurt as he lets on. Look, I, people are going to tell us we're crazy. People are going to tell us we're wrong. That's okay. This is my opinion. I think you're on the same page as me. I, I if his arm is hurt, fine. I don't think it's nearly as hurt as people think, um, I, or that he's letting on, or you know he's in dire need of surgery. I don't buy it. I'm sorry. I think this is calculated. I think this guy's smart. I think this is uh, part of his deal, and it's just amazing to me. If he does come into all these G1s hurt, how well he performs with these injuries. You know, it's it's we know he's a great wrestler, but if he really is as hurt as people say, I mean, with the rich with the back, people were saying that, you know, he needed back surgery imminently. He's gonna miss <laughs> right. half a year. And then in his first he, match, he did a high five photo to the floor. Remember that? It was like, yeah. oh my and god, he is he gonna be able to wrestle? It's like, oh, he did a high five photo to the floor. Okay, maybe he's fine. Like and then, and then he never got back surgery, you know, and he never got his neck worked on. He's not, he's not going to, you know, it's like, how many times are you going to let this guy work you? 
I mean, I, well, I that's just, the thing. I'm very that's, that's it too. Is like we're we're not upset. I don't care. That's that's a man working. That's an a, a guy who understands 2017 wrestling. He's working everybody, and it's perfect. I love it. Rich? Right now, we're having this conversation going, hmm, I don't know. And we're going to have people that are going to tweet at us. You guys are wrong. He's definitely hurt. He, he did this. He tweeted this picture. like that. And, and guess in the end, it's either you're saying, oh, my God, I can't believe he's going through this injury. What a, what a worker. Or we're saying, wow, you know, what a great job of, of you know, playing up these injuries and working. Like either way, either way you slice it, Tanahashi comes out looking good. This is a perfect example. I knows what he's doing. <laughs> yep. It's a perfect example of what I always say. The new work is the old work, right? That's what this is. I don't know whether he's hurt or not. Either way, like you said, he comes out ahead. He's either this incredible super worker or working on these injuries, or he's just a brilliant worker in the sense that he's working all of us. So either way, here we go again, you know, and we'll go through it again next year. Yep. April 2018. Okay. I got marked in my calendar is talk about Tanahashi's injury and whether he'll be in next the year. It'll be a knee. You know, he <laughs> hasn't done a leg yet. Okay. So, you know, who, who knows? And, and the idea that the clock is ticking and how many more great G1s does this guy have in him? And he's 40 years old. And he has all these supposed injuries. Rich, I just watched Masaki Mochizuki on a Dragon Gate show. Look like one of the best workers on the show. And he's 47 years old. So who knows how many more years this guy has of doing this? He might milk this thing for another seven, eight years. You know, look at Satoshi Kojima. What is he, 46, 47 years old? I mean, so who knows? I mean, you know, 40... You know, in this grand scheme, it's not even that old. Who knows how many more great tournaments this guy has in front of him? And also, so, I'll add in my calendar March, April is talk about Tanahashi fading too. That's the same thing, is it? Because like, because yeah. he does, he gets lazy in tag matches in in February, March, and April, and everybody goes, oh, I don't know, this might be the one Tanahashi. And then like, oh, G one, now he's great again. Like he's he comes in and people, he's hurt and he's he's been dogging it, and oh, he's you know he, he must be the end of it. And he's getting old, and those injuries are piling up. And then you know July, late July hits, and he's fucking awesome. <laughs> it's like it doesn't, you know, the same thing and, over and, and over and again. He, like, and by, yeah. And by the end of the G1, he'll be one of the top three or four performers in the in the G1 overall. Right. <laughs> you know, with guys who are 27 years old. It's, it's uh, same time next year, Joe. We'll talk. Uh, we'll do it again. So we'll have the us. same fucking conversation. And, and it'll be I think what we're going to do next time is just chop this part and play it. And, and that's that will subside for because for, we don't have to have this conversation every year. We'll just play a previous year's conversation. So I'm we'll just, play. I just listen. I'm just highly skeptical of yeah, the severity no. and everything else. But. Uh, uh, you know, it's and the thing with Tanahashi is even when he does physically decline, he's so smart and is such a brilliant wrestler that he's the kind of guy who will be able to hide that by working such smart matches that you won't notice that he has physically declined. So I really believe, unless he has a debilitating injury that really takes him out, that this guy could have close to 10 more years in him. I really believe that. I think he can have seven or eight more years in him. When I watch a guy like Mochizuki, who works that Dragon Gates, which is the hardest schedule on earth, by the way. Okay. And and those guys work their asses off. And he still looks fresh as a fucking daisy at 47. Why can't Tanahashi do that? Here's my thing I was going to talk about Tanahashi here a little bit. And, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. Um, and, and I know, because I guess this will probably become a bigger conversation that you and I are going to have, maybe not on this show, but sometime later, is uh, Tanahashi, it was the Nagata match where I really, it really kind of dawned on me of like, man, this is this is kind of what I want out of my new t- Tanahashi and my maybe the next few years of Tanahashi was, was and we talk about it all the time. Like he's done it quite a few times where he's kind of realized that the fans are not on his side and, and, and played up the heel factor and, and decided, okay, I'm going to be a heel or whatever. Well, this Nagata match halfway through and he, he's acting kind of heelish and he's, you know, slapping him and he's kind of looking at the crowd like kind of, you know, the side eye or whatever and the crowd booing him and, and chanting for Nagata. And I'm like, you know what, this 
I really wish that we get more of this with Tanahashi over the next few years because now more than ever, they don't need Tanahashi in, in a spot. They don't need Tanahashi to be the, the, the baby kissing guy, the hugger. I mean, yeah, there's going to be people that are still going to want him to wipe their sweat all over their towels or whatever. That's always going to remain. But I think less so than ever, they need him to be that guy, to be the, 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 the flag bearer for New Japan Pro Wrestling. So I like a Tanahashi with a little bit more edge. I would like it if they sort of played up a little bit that, hey, this guy always bitches about his injuries, but he's really not that hurt. He's kind of like, he's faking it a little bit, or, you know, that, that he is kind of a dickhead, or that his name is, that he comes out with the go ace theme, and it's like, dude, you're not the ace anymore. <laughs> like, just get over it. Like, that, he, you know, he dyes his hair, and, and, and he's in these photo shoots, and, and he thinks he's still hot shit, and it's just like, ah, you know, I want, I, we've done that a little bit this year. It's like the weird sort of guy that doesn't realize where he's at in his career. Tanahashi, but I'd really love to see them play that up a little bit, because I thought the heat that he got in that Nagata match was so awesome. I think he can do that a lot of times throughout the year and do that a little bit more than he does right now because there are so many baby faces right now. When they turn Kenny Omega, you're going to have that guy. You, you know, Naito is, is is bursting at the seams as, as a baby face, even though he's supposed to be supposedly a heel. Okada, obviously. So obviously it's shades of gray, and obviously Japan doesn't try to steer anybody in any one direction. But I'm looking at Tanahashi going, man, there's a guy right there that I think they can do a lot with. If they just He doesn't have to change much about what he does. They just got to kind of make him a little bit rougher around the edges. What, what do you think about that? I wouldn't worry about Tanahashi. Tanahashi, again, I think he's smart enough to know how to keep himself fresh and to keep himself reinvented to stay relevant. I think he realizes his days as the top guy are over. I think he knew that was going to be the case when they laid out the plan for Okada in 2012. And I think that he was very, uh, you know, very, very um, unselfish uh, to, to follow through on that plan and do business the right way. And I think Right now, you know, as we're seeing the sort of delusional dad, Tanahashi, the Trans Am driving midlife crisis guy who's in denial uh, that he's uh, no longer the top guy. That sort of character that he's playing now is keeping him fresh. And I think when that runs its course, he'll do something else. And you very, very, very well could see a Shades of Grey Tanahashi at some point like you would like to see, which we see a couple times a year like we saw against Nagata. Could we see that full time for, you know, an entire year stretch or something? Yeah. I think he's a guy who's smart enough to do whatever it takes to keep himself relevant. And he might have to do that because he might be in big time matches with Omega, with Naito, with Okada. Like right. a lot of these guys are emerging and, and passing him up or whatever. So he might not have another choice. Like he's not going to be able to have a match with Kenny Omega and think that he's going to get cheered unanimously. Like that's not going to happen anymore. Sure, so, with, with new generations of fans that they're creating that don't have a connection to him. Right, exactly. So yeah, because you're, you're always going to have your, you know, here's my towel, please put your sweat all over it, fans. Uh, those people are always going to be there, and those kind of the older type fans. But yeah, the new generation of fans are are going to be into Naito and into Omega and into Okada and into those other guys, you know, and less so than him. It's You know, we've been doing this show so long that we're at the point where we're talking about Tanahashi having connections with older fans and newer fans not having a connection with him. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, move on now to Bad Luck Fale. So uh, he's at four points right now. That with a few other people, we'll get to them here in a sec. Uh, Fale has run down his. He beat Togi Makabe. He beat Naito. He lost to Saber and he lost to Tanahashi. You've kind of mentioned a little bit about Fale so far. Uh, anything else you have to add about his uh, G one so far? No, it's we talk about it all the time. He'll be in the mix come the end. He'll have ten points or whatever. Uh, he's a guy who's going to win his share of matches. When does he face Nagata? Because the reason I asked that, Rich, is, um, you know, I mentioned this in our preview, and it was sort of from an era that you weren't following very closely and didn't remember. But he was a protege of Nagata when he was King Fale as part of Blue Justice. And, um, you know, and then obviously he did the turn and joined Bullet Club. 
But I think it's interesting that obviously Yuji Nagata is not going to be a factor, and we'll talk about that in a minute in terms of winning the block or anything. But I, you know, maybe Yuji Nagata, bad luck, Fale's, you know, mentor is the one who spoils it for Fale in the end. Yeah, if I remember correctly, uh, okay, yeah, here, it it is exactly what I thought. August 11th at Sumo Hall, Bad Luck Fale, Yuji Nagata. There you go. Final A-block show right there. And can't you see Nagata coming into, the way that it's played out so far, can't you see Nagata coming into that with no points or two points or something like that, and Fale being in the mix and, you know, maybe not like super in the mix, but in one of those situations where if he wins and then he needs a chain of events to happen, and you know what I mean, right. just well, a lot. Because that same that same show, you have Tanahashi and Naito, and I could absolutely see that be the win. You know, the winner there goes in or whatever, but it could be some weird scenario where you know, bad luck Fale because uh, of be tiebreakers or whatever. He'd be yeah, Naito, he'd be Naito, right? so it could be yeah. So yeah, that plays out almost perfect where Naito wins, and it's like oh shit, like or you know, Naito's gonna be in the main event, but like Fale, you know, would w- would presumably. You know, if he beat Nagata and Naito he beats, he would be the one that would go. So, yeah, Nagata would beat him. And, yeah, no, I think that, that scenario plays out almost perfect. Yeah, and I could see that as sort of a sort of a, a callback to, a, a you know, a longtime fan who remembers that he was a protege of Nagata's. And Nagata, can, Nagata obviously go, leaves that, you know, he goes out of the G1, his final G1 match, Sumo Hall, gets a win over this cocky asshole who, you know, was his protege who turned, you know what I mean? It all makes a lot of sense, right? Like it's, it's, there's a nice little story there. So maybe that's the way it plays out. And maybe that's how, because Folly's not winning the block. I mean, that's, no, God, no. Yeah. you know, so I think that's how it'll play out. And, 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 you know, hopefully in the commentary, you know, they, re, they remember that. And, and that's sort of the story of that match. I'll move on now to Hiroki Goto, who's also tied at four points with uh, Bad Luck Fale. Uh, his record so far, he beat uh, Ishii, he lost to Togi Makabe, he beat Nagata, and he lost to Yoshi Tana, uh, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi. That's what I meant to say, Yoshi Tanahashi. <laughs> Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, Goto, so far, what, what have you been your thoughts on his, uh, his G1? I think he's had really good matches. I would put him, you know, uh, he hasn't had a blowaway match like the one, like the Naito Abushi match. Uh, but I put him on a similar level to Naito right now in terms of, uh, you know, uh, his overall output. And he's a guy who, you know, he's another guy. He's going to have, you know, 10 to 12 points or whatever. And I don't think, you know, he just won the block last year. So I don't think he's going to win, um, you know, uh, the block again this year, especially the block he's in. But he's a guy who can beat anyone. And, um, you know, uh, the Makabe match, we talked about that a little. That was a main event in, uh, uh, where was that? Uh, I forgot what building that was in, but they were solidly behind Makabe and, and Goto was there to lose to him. Um, you know, but he beat Nagata and he beat Ishii and, you know, Tanahashi is a guy. There's no shame in losing to him. You know, he'll, he'll be a couple wins over 500 and um, he's probably got some really good matches left in him. What's he got left? He's got, uh, yeah, he's got, so he's got Fale, but that's probably just going to be there, but he's got Abushi. That's going to be great. He's got Naito. Uh, he's got Saber and he's got Yoshihashi. So at least a few. Abushi think he's going to have a good one. Uh, Naito and Saber, I think, all have the chance of all being pretty good. So he's got three still kind of in the holster there that could be good. And he had a really good match with Saber before it was ruined by Suzuki Gun shit a couple months ago. Yeah, right, so, right. Um, the, a match that I was really getting into, and then the Suzuki Gun stuff ruined it. So I'm I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, I don't think he'll be a factor in the block, but I think he's got a bunch of good matches left in front of him. He's doing the Goto thing where he's just, you know, he's good. <laughs> like that's, you know, it's just the solid good. That's that's kind of the Hiroki Goto thing. Uh, it's been for a while. So I'll talk about another guy here that I think you and I are both been impressed about, a guy that I think you most people are going to probably put as their, their top wrestler so far of the G1. 
Uh, Kotobushi at four points right now. So the points, as we mentioned, every single year people get all hung up on, oh, my God, he's, he's going to win the block. He's going to be in the mix. Kotobushi's probably not going to be in the mix. But all, you know, all said, he's going to have incredible matches, and that's absolutely what he's had so far this year. Uh, here's matches that he's had so far. He's had uh, Ishii, which he beat. Uh, he lost to Togi Makabe. He lost to Naito, and he beat Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, I mentioned Naito and Ibushi being my favorite match of the entire G1 so far. Uh, the Ishii-Ibushi match was incredible. The Sabre-Ibushi match was incredible. <laughs> it's just like the guy... He, he's something else. And I've heard good things about the Makabe match, too. I haven't seen that one yet, but uh, I saw a gif of the King Kong knee drop to a standing Abushi that looked just sickening, and I cannot wait to watch that match when I do get the chance, too. Yeah, it was a really good match. Um, we'll talk about more of that when we talk Makabe, because I think Makabe's been a huge surprise. Um, but yeah, Abushi, three of his matches are arguably three to top five matches of the entire tournament. I mean, Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with you if your top five had three Abushi matches at all. The Naito match, for sure. I mean, I think that would be in anyone's top five. You know, in the Zack Sabre Jr. match for me, that's definitely in my top five. And then if you have got the Ishii match there, that would be two. Actually, you know, I'll tell you right now what my top five are. My top five are Okada Elgin, um, Naito Ibushi, Naito Sabre, uh, Naito Ishii. I, I'm sorry, um, Ibushi Sabre, Ibushi Ishii. So, yeah, three Ibushi matches in yep. my top five. So th- there you go right there. I don't, I don't know what my fifth would be. I'd really have to think about it. But those are my top four for sure. Um, yeah, the guy's been great. To me um, – I know you're going to make the MVP argument for Nagata. I would make it for Ibushi. So um, I think Nagata, Ibushi, um, Okada, um, a couple others, uh, you know, Zack Sabre Jr. I'd put there are sort of been the elite guys in this tournament so far. So, um, yeah, the Nagata pick that, that I we'll get to him when we get to him is, is mostly an emotional thing. But as far as like straight in ring, like if Nagato just came in here and he didn't have the, the the crowd as much behind him or as much of the story built into to his matches, it wouldn't be Nagata. But yeah, if it was just straight up, okay, who's having the best matches here? It's Kota Bushi. I mean, it's unbelievable what this guy's been able to do. And we talked about the Naito Bushi match before, but I really love the Zack Saber Jr. Bushi match is one that that is going to be one that might be appreciated a little bit more when people rewatch it because it's kind of get, I'm not going to say it's get lost in the shuffle of the G1, but it might just seem like it's not as important because you're just getting all these matches and you're kind of getting thrown, you know, five, you know, four or five star matches, you know, left and right or whatever. But that's one that really deep down is like a great little story too, because you have, you have Zack Sabre Jr. who basically controls almost the entire part of the match because he's smart and he's got the ground game or whatever. And you get a Bushi who, who sort of loses control and is like, yeah, you know, I could be the high flyer, but no, fuck that. I'm going to go, you know, I can't do that. Sabres, you know, cut me off every single time. I try to get any sort of momentum. So you know what? I'm used to be a kickboxer. Let's get into kickboxing. And then, like you get the other side of Ibushi, where, where it's so funny that people kind of pigeonhole Ibushi into being one type of wrestler. Well, that Saber Junior match showed you he is not that at all. That was the least flying you're going to see from Ibushi ever, and it was still an incredible match because he abandoned that and said, "Well, fuck it, then I can't do that. I'll just I'll just kick you to death. I can do that too. Like I'm a good, you know, maybe I, I I don't have great, you know, I don't look intimidating, I don't look strong or whatever. But I can kick the hell out of you, and I can I can you know I still have a good striking offense or whatever. And that I that's what I love about that match is that you saw kind of halfway through abushi who, who's who's somebody that will sort of show off a little bit and do you know silly things or whatever realize hey i can't do that against this guy this guy's gonna catch me if i do that so you know what no i'm gonna i'm gonna just become a fighter and and that's that was abushi being a fighter in that match and that was that was just a sight to be seen as well but no abushi's having just an unbelievable tournament so far and and it, it, it's amazing in in one way like <laughs> i want to write about this but i i got so busy with the g1 and stuff and i might still have a chance to do it I, i'm so envious of abushi because that's a guy who can just do whatever the hell he wants you know what I mean? Like that dude, WWE wanted him. New Japan wanted him. The, all these companies want him. He's just like, nah, I'm good. Like, I just want to do whatever I'm going to do. I want to, you know, powerbomb somebody through a toilet one night and then come have awesome G1 matches the next night. I want to dive off this balcony. I want to dress up as a kaiju. I want to, you know, like that guy, it, it's amazing that he just has that freedom. 
that he can just creatively do whatever the hell he wants. And, and it's actually leading to some awesome performances too, because this is a guy who's not burnt out, a guy who's not beat up, who's not, you know, down in the dumps like he, you know, says that he was during his last few months with, with New Japan. This is a guy who's fresh, who's who's works when he wants to work and works how he wants to work every single time so that when he wants to go and say, yeah, I'll just have, you know, incredible fucking matches for two, you know, four weeks or whatever, he can do it because I don't think this is going to let up. He's got a match with Goto coming up. He's got a match with Nagata coming up. He's got a match with Hiroshi Tanahashi coming up. Like, this guy could end up having, you know, how many good matches is Ibushi going to have? He's, he's... Like, what's his worst match? The worst match will probably be Fale, right? I think he's solidly either the front runner or one of the front runners for MVP of the tournament overall when you look at what he has in front of him, too. Um, you know, he, he managed to have an excellent match with, with uh, Makabe. You know, and the one thing I think along with, with Omega, who's not having a great bell to bell tournament, by the way, Omega, but I think along with Omega, he's been the most adaptable guy in the tournament. He's working to the style of his opponents, which I think is part of the reason he's having great matches with all of his opponents. Um, He's not forcing his match every other night. He's having his opponents match and he's, he's matching them and he's doing it well. And I think that's important. And I think that, uh, the thing about Ibushi, I'll disagree with you slightly. I think it's time for him to stop fucking around and get focused and just sign with this company and be one of the biggest stars in the world. I really do. Now, look, I get that he comes from money. His dad is a doctor or something, some famous doctor, whatever. His dad, he comes from money is the point. Um, you know, I'm not privy to the entire backstory. So I get it. Uh, he's not a guy who's you know starving for cash. He's not a guy who's you know who has a family or anything like that to support. Um, you know, so he kind of has the luxury of doing his own thing. We know he's a little eccentric too. Um, but just from the standpoint of, okay, you had your fun for the last couple of years, you globe trotted, you, you did the WWE thing. You did the tiger mask W thing. You fucked around with Kaiju big battle. You know, I would really maybe selfishly, but I would really like him to just get focused now sign his name on the dotted line, commit himself to New Japan, or even somewhere else, to be fair, uh, and, and just be, I mean, if he did it in this company, Rich, there'd be no question he'd be one of the biggest stars in this company and one of the biggest stars in the world, especially if he did a long-term program with Omega, which I do think that they're still, those two guys still have something cooking. But I'm not quite sure that Ibushi has New Japan in his crosshairs as his long-term I'm going to settle here as my destination the way Omega has. And I think that's a little, I think that's bad for the fans. I think the best thing for the fans would be if this guy would just plant his feet in this company, become a made guy here. I mean, look what he's doing in this tournament. I would love to see this guy just, you know. Oh yeah. Selfishly. I want him to do that. I want him to just say, yeah, new Japan for life. And here we go. Let's do this or whatever. But, but part of me is envious that he, he doesn't feel the pressure to do that in a way. Like it's weird. He doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, you know, I, would love, have- I would love for him to say, you know what, fuck it, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere, let's do this Omega Ibushi thing, let's, let's And go. let's see how far I can go with yeah, my career. I, I mean, he's probably just not going to do that. I mean, that's not what, I mean, he had a chance to do that, and he said, nah, I don't really want to. I, I don't know, like, I don't know if he's had a change of mind, change of heart, that he's ready, to, I don't know, I don't know that he's ever going to do that. And I'm, in a way, I'm sort of envious that he doesn't have that pressure, or that self-motivation, or whatever, like, I wish I was that way, I wish I could just say, yeah, fuck yeah. it, I'll do whatever the hell I want, and I don't care what other people think, but. Right. Selfishly, I want the dude to sign and, and, and be incredible because he can be. Because yeah, this is this is what we have, and it's just like it's so refreshing again to think about Kota Ibushi. And that's I, I want to make that point. The thing I was going to read or write or whatever, and I might still do it. Is is just that it's amazing how the injection of Kota Ibushi in this roster is just like holy shit! Like just amazing guy out here. 
that's just having a crowd. It's, it's it, it, you know, thinking of him not being in the G1s of previous years, and you, you feel like, oh, geez, like you need this guy every year. Like this guy, just whatever you have to do, get him in here because he's so good and he can work any style with anybody. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I've enjoyed his whack. Look, I was at the Kaiju match live where he chased Dr. Cube around the building for 15 minutes. I mean, and I, you know, and at four o'clock in the morning, I mean, I was there, you know, and, and I enjoyed his cruiserweight classic stuff. And, you know, like everybody else, I think I like when he's, you know, doing wacky shit, like shooting off fireworks off the top of a pickup truck and then moonsaulting off of it. But, you know, at the same time, I, I, you know, I'd rather, you know, at this point, okay, we saw all that. Let's get serious now. You know, I I would like to see that, but, uh, and this tournament is kind of just, as good as he's been here, it's kind of a sick tease in a way. You know, I, I, I want to see this guy be part of this company and not like it was last time, split in time with DDT and that bulls. No, I want to see him part of this company to see how far he can go and to see how big of a star he can be. I want to see this guy have a long-term feud with Kazuchika Okada. I want to see this guy have a long-term feud with Kenny Omega. Yeah. I want to see this guy have a long-term feud with Hiroshi Tanahashi and Tetsuya Naito and Minoru Suzuki. I want to see that, Rich. Because I think it would all be great. And he's one of those he's big guys. Still... We talked about a few years ago where we were talking about the, the, the new drawing heads of, uh, new, of right. new Japan. And he was one of those guys. And he, he left. And it, yeah. And he was gone. And it was just like, shit. All right. Well. And there's spots open. You know? Yeah. It's like Nakamura's gone. And Styles is gone. And Shibata is retired. And, and Tanahashi's moving down the card. This is the time if he's going to do it. If, that's, if, if he wants to be a megastar, this is it, man. And maybe that is in the cards. I don't know. I hope it is, though. That's what I would like to see. That is where I want to see this guy's career go. This is the direction. I want to see him have a feud with Jay White two years from now over the Intercontinental title. You know what I mean? I would love to see stuff like that out of him. You know, I'd rather see that than him flushing people's heads down toilets in DDT. I'm <laughs> over that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm over it. it no, was- I, I'm with you, but I don't know no. if he is. <laughs> that, that's a dude, I think, who's content, you know, wrestling a dummy in the middle of his uh... – his random wrestling ring and doing, you know, like, or the time he was wrestling weights or it's like, I don't, I don't know, man. He's just, a, he's an odd cat. So trying to understand or explain his, his rationale or for what he does in his career is, is, is it's a losing battle. You're never gonna be able to figure it out. So that's, I, I just know I, I, part of me does hope though, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll joking aside, like I hope that when it's all said and done, we don't think of him as this like enigma of like, Oh man, what could Kota Ibushi have been? Right. Like when it's all said and done, you know, he hurts himself doing some stupid thing or whatever. And he's never the same. And we're like, Oh geez, this guy was on the precipice of just being one of the biggest stars in this entire sport. A, and he just never just got there. Great worker who can work with anyone and yeah. have great matches. And he can be a great star. I mean, this guy can really be the biggest star in Japan. If, if, if he wanted to be, and it all worked out right for him. And, and that's, and that's really when I say, and that's a great point that you make. I don't want to see him piss that away because I think he's leaving a lot of great entertainment for us on the table by not doing so. And maybe that is selfish. Yeah, no, it is. It absolutely is. But there's nothing wrong with He's happy doing this. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're allowed to be selfishly. That's right. Because selfishly want something that maybe he doesn't. That's not, you know, because we're watching this to be entertained. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and that's what I would like to see out of Kota Ibushi because I you know I, he he it, I really would hate to see him leave all of that on the table. Let's move on to Tomohiro Ishii here. He's also got four points. Uh, his record so far: he lost to Goto, beat Ibushi, uh, beat Togi Makabe, and beat Yoshihashi. Did I miss something there? Is that right? Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So he he, he lost to Goto. Did I say he beat Goto? 
he lost yeah, he to Goto. Yeah, lost to Goto, lost to Ibushi, beat Makabe, beat Yoshiaji. Okay, that, that's right. Yeah, sorry. I mixed them something up there. Uh, uh, Kamaruchi, uh, what, what really can be said about Kamaruchi's G1 again? Like, dude's yeah. awesome. Like, I don't know. Top tier guy. Let me throw something <laughs> at you. As you said, seven years in a row underrated. Like, it's just at this point, it's just like, I don't know. Like, it's like he's a guy who everyone knows is great. <laughs> we know everyone, this. We don't have to be reminded, but we do. Everyone knows he's great. <laughs> everyone, everyone who knows anything, anyone with who who knows anything knows he's one of the top ten wrestlers in the world, maybe even better than that. And despite this, Rich, I still believe, I still firmly believe that this man is underrated. I really do. I still don't think he gets enough credit for how good he is. I mean, just in this tournament alone, I've got four and a quarter, four, uh, four and a half, and uh, and where's the other one? And four and a half. <laughs> I mean. I mean, it's, it's just like, oh, no, I'm sorry, four for the Yoshihashi, man. It's like he's going to go 500 or, or, you know, a game under 500 in this tournament, and he's not going to be in the mix, but he's, at the end of the day, we're going to, I've, I've talked about the top tier of this tournament so far four times already and haven't brought up his name because even I forget about him. He's still <laughs> underrated. All right, we he's, talked about that when we were previewing the show, is that you see Ishii versus whatever, and you go, okay, yeah, whatever. And then it's like, no, that's going to be great. Like, it's going to be great no matter who he's facing. And right. it's like... Every he, year we do the Goto Ishii, yeah, it'll be fine. Like, no, it's going to be fucking great. Abushi's <laughs> like, probably the only guy who's been better than him in this tournament. And it's not... And he may... And, and, and you, you, I, I'd accept an argument in the other direction. The guy's awesome. And it's getting to the point where he's been awesome now for five years. And it's like... I know he's like 41 years old, 42 years old or whatever it is, but you know, it, it's, you know, who's been more consistent than this guy in this company over that time period too. I mean, he's right there with anyone. He's just an incredible wrestler. And there's things that he does better than anybody in the world. And that, you know, one of those things is selling. Nobody sells like this guy. The best. He's the best in the world. And uh, I can't say enough about how good he's been so far. And he's only had four matches, which means he has what five matches in front of him. Yeah, he's got Naito, uh, by the way, coming up, and and those two every single time. His in best the opponents. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, you know that's going to be great. They just yeah, had a great match. To go. Yeah, we have we have basically a five star match. I, I would I would almost go <laughs> if you had to make if I had a bet that Naito Ishii, I, I would say yeah, that that's going to be one of those type of matches, one of those all time great matches. He's got that in his holster. He's got Saber. He's got Tanahashi all in his holster, and Nagata, who's had a great tournament so far. So like, yeah, yeah, he's got oh, Folly coming up. Got, so yeah, yeah, I mean, Saber, Tanahashi, Naito, and and Nagata <laughs> in front of him. I mean, come on, it could come down to him and Ibushi. For you know MVP at his tournament, it, the thing about him though is he probably won't have big time matches down the stretch because he, he'll probably be out of it. Yeah, right. Uh, Toki Makabe, four points for him. He's tied with uh, all those other guys as well at four. Uh, so far, his record: uh, he lost to Fale, defeated Goto, uh, defeated Ibushi, and lost to Tomohiro Ishii. I think the big surprise for Toki Makabe is that he's been competent, and he's been more than competent. He's been pretty damn good. Toki Makabe has been as good as he can possibly be through the first four. Uh, his first four matches of this tournament. I am not a big Togi Makabe fan. Um, I, I, you know, I, he's a guy I could take or leave. We buried him in the preview when we previewed this as a guy we weren't interested in. I have no complaints over the first four nights. Um, you know, the only match that maybe people would disagree with me on is the Folly match. I think the other three, everyone would agree they were they were good matches, man. I mean, the Ishii match was a good match. Um, you know, the, the Hiroki Goto match. I mean, those guys. That was a war. I went four and a quarter on that match. 
And then, uh, you know, I can't remember what the fourth match was off the top of my head, but, um, you know, every match he's been in to me, he's the, oh, Dakota Ibushi match. Um, which again, Ibushi worked that slow, methodical, you know, Makabe style. And it, it, you know, it wasn't Ibushi's best match at the tournament, but it was a, it was a good match. Um, I, I've been pleased with Makabe because I thought he was a guy who would be a guy that would disappoint in this tournament, but he hasn't, he's been good. He thought he'd be the dud guy, the guy that you'd be like, ah, yeah. here we go. And yeah, he's been anything but that. And and he's still got, you know, again, we, we're mentioning these guys that he's still got left, but yeah, he's still got Naito. He's still got Saber, still have Tanahashi, still has Nagata, all still left to go. So. You know, the thing <laughs> is, there is no dud guy this year. No, that's, that's, I mean, now uh, Togi would, was that guy. And Yuji, Togi and Yuji were the two guys we looked at as saying, okay, uh, if anyone's going to have duds, it's probably going to be those guys. Or, or Bad Luck Folly, you could probably add Folly, that too. Yeah. And, and Folly's had, okay, he's probably the biggest dud this entire Folly's probably been the worst guy in the or Yeah, and that's, I mean, Tama, that's, but Tamatanga's had story matches. We'll get to him. Right, yeah, we'll, we'll get to him in a little but, bit. But yeah, you thought Togi and, and, and Yuji Nagata would be guys that would have to be carried a little bit. Or, you know, I knew that y- Yuji would kind of deliver, but I wasn't sure that he quite delivered to the extent he has. And Togi Makabe seemed like the guy that was just like, oh, here we go. Togi and then he's been fucking great. So it's just like, damn. like who's been, I mean, there's no Doc Gallows type of guy this year. There's no Yujiro type of guy this year. Um, you know, there's always a couple guys who it's like, you know, they always work the opener and they're always kind of shitty and it's going to be two and a half stars no matter what they do. And this tournament hasn't really had that because I mean, Makabe has a, delivered. It's such an embarrassment of riches that I would almost put, and, and it's not a slight on this guy, but I would almost put, I would put Kojima on like the, the bottom half of the. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, oh, without question. Kojima's great, but it's like, no, there's like seven, uh, seven or eight other guys that are just killing it. Like Kojima's or, had super fun matches, but he'd yeah. easily be in the bottom half. Yeah, it's it's nuts. It's just an embarrassment of riches this year. And bottom quarter, baby. Yeah, really. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> it's not a slight on him. It's just everyone's that's great. That's the juice match that I really liked, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, a couple other matches that I really liked, and and he'd he'd be in the bottom quarter because everyone's delivering this year. I'll go on to another guy that uh, has delivered well. Yoshihashi's at two points, so uh, not a very good record here, but uh, it's kind of what we expected. Uh, he lost to Ishii. Uh, he lost to Naito. He lost to Saber, and he defeated Yuji Nagata. What did you think about uh, Yoshihashi so far? You know, I've got three of his matches at four stars or better. And that's you know? like, yeah, I think that that's fair. What, what what's been your favorite? Because I mine, I have one that's a, a oh the Nagata tournament. match. Okay, yeah, I was I was gonna say that one. The one I that lost. opened up the whole tournament. I yeah. mean, I I, I cool was that stunned match? at how good that match was. That was so good. I love I love you know, the dynamics and, there. Of, and of, he stood up to Nagata and smacked yeah. him in the face, and, and that was not a good idea because Nagata looked at him and went, "Oh no, you know." Yeah, do not and, do that. <laughs> and the guy to beat the shit out of him, and then Yoshihashi right. with the big scalp, he beat him, you know. And um, yeah, easily that's you know, but he's had other good matches too. I mean, I I, I enjoyed the Ishi match, and um, you know the Naito match. Some people were down on it. Some people really liked it. You know, I was somewhere in between. Um, but uh, but yeah, Yoshihashi's kind of had. He's been sneaky good. I mean, if you have four matches and I've got three of them at four stars or better, I mean, <laughs> but that, and and then we're talking about him like, ah, he's been okay. Yeah, Yoshi, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> That's how great this tournament is because you have guys who are like, you know, putting out four and a half or better every time out. Where a guy is putting out four stars every time he hits the ring, and you're like, all right, he's been the eighth best guy in this thing, you know. It's a guy you don't even think about, but yeah, I mean, you know, Yoshihashi's been very good. I think he's having a better tournament this year than he had last year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, far and away. I'll go to the last guy here at zero points, the old goose egg for Yuji Nagata. Lost to Goto, lost to Naito, lost to Tanahashi, lost to Yoshihashi. We kind of laid out a scenario there uh, where he defeats Bad Luck Folly. Either he's got zero points at that point or maybe he's got two or something like that. But, uh, yeah, he's not going to be a player. Uh, I think if he loses his match Saturday, 
Uh, I forgot who he's against, but then he'll be officially mathematically eliminated from winning if he loses Saturday. So uh, not much left for the life of Yuji Nagata here. Uh, first off, any issue with that story being told? I mean, that's one that we saw with uh, Yuji Nagata or uh, um, uh, Thunder Liger. We saw it last year with Tenzan. Like, that's kind of how they tell the story of these old guys now in, in, their, in New Japan. Any issues with it? I think that is you, – I'm glad you brought it up. That's what I wanted to touch on with Nagata because I think we've already talked about the fact that he's sort of been the emotional backbone of the tournament. And, uh, and, 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 and we've kind of touched on that already, but yeah, this theme, look, we saw it with Tenzon last year. We saw it with Jushin Liger and the best of the super juniors this past year, uh, this year, actually. And now we're seeing it with Nagata. Um, people who are looking for the miracle run out of these old guys, you're not going to get it. That's just not how this company is currently going to book these guys. Um, you know, it wouldn't, I, you know, I like that story. I wouldn't have a problem if they did do that story, but I don't have a problem with this either because, you know, as I talked about with Tenzon last year, and as I've talked about with Liger this year with the best of super juniors, um, this is kind of the more realistic way to approach it. You know, they're telling the story of, look, there's a reason that these guys are in their final tournament. The story here is that they can't cut it anymore with the younger guys. And that's okay. You know, uh, these guys had their time and the argument here would be that, you know, if Yuji Nagata is able to go eight and two in his final G1, then why is it his final G1, right? Then why doesn't he come back next year? And, and if, if he's the kind of guy who can win it, then why would he be leaving? Why would he be no longer competing? So, um, you know, I kind of, I don't mind it, uh, the story either way. Um, you know, I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me that these guys go out with poor records in their final tournaments because, it fits the way that New Japan is booked overall, and and therefore that you know, and because of that, it, it doesn't bother me. Now, if one of these guys did go on a miracle run, you know, Nagata would probably be the guy, right? So if they're not going to do it with him, and they're not going to do it with Liger, but see, Liger doesn't have an ego. I could see them saying to Liger, "Hey, man, you wanted, you know, you want one final run." I could see him saying no. Um, but a guy like Nagata, you know, he, you'd think he'd be the guy that they would do this. So if they're not doing it with him, you know, yeah, it's over. Yeah, don't don't predict it anymore. Yeah, ever I mean, you're not, they're not going to do it with Kojima next year or the year after. They're not going to do it with uh, who else is left. I mean, that's it. Who do you have left aside from Kojima? You know, and then it's just waiting for some other guys to get. Yeah, over. waiting for Tanahashi then, really. <laughs> or Makabe or Tanahashi, yeah, and, you know, guys like that to to get old because you know Nagata Nakanishi hasn't been in one in years and. Uh, Tenzan had his and Liger just had his. Can you imagine Mananabu Nakanishi? God. Yeah. And I mean, and and look, actually, he fits into this because if you look at Nakanishi, he's a guy who always eats the pin, right? It's like, even if he's in there with a a lower ranked, you know, guy historically, like a a modern, uh, you know, a younger guy now who will never be as a big a deal as Nakanishi may have been in his, like a Yoshihashi type or something, or, uh, you know, I, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head uh, who would be on that side of, uh, you know, the New Japan Army who would team, but but he always takes the fall. It's it's never Kojima or Tenzan or, or, or Nagata when he teams with those guys. It's always Nakanishi because his body fell apart before theirs did, and and the way this company's booked, he's the weak link, you know? And, yeah. and Nagata, he's in his final G1, and, and the story here is that he cannot he he he's he just can't quite do enough 
to beat these younger guys. Anyway. Right. He's smarter than a lot of the guys, but they're physically better than him. Every that's day. right. Even a Yoshihashi, he can't even beat a guy like that. And that's the way they tell. And and, and, and that's why he's retiring. And that's why he's going exactly walking off that's to the side. That's his last year. Because yeah, like you're saying, if he dominated the field, it's like, dude, come back. Like you're great. Why would you do this? <laughs> Don't leave now. Yeah, like, why would you're, you're... last? Yeah, right. exactly. So right. yeah, it's it's interesting. And, and and we look at the the inverse, and it's something that WWE does a lot, where the old guys come in and they beat everybody, and they're the best, and they look the best, and oh my god, the attitude era is so good, and look how great the Undertaker is, and look how good the Rock is, and look how great these guys are. I don't want that. I'd rather the way we have it now, where it's like, no, these guys are old, the new guys are coming up. Like I think it's far more healthy to have it be this way. Yeah, would it be fun to watch Yuji Nagata have a great run? Is it maybe an all or nothing proposition where you have to have the the old guys dominate, or you have to have the little guys lose? No, you can you can do something where one guy goes on a little bit of a run or whatever. But I like this. Idea. I like where that the guy is going in there, and then he's going to bust his ass, and then the all, when it's all said and done, he's going to he's going to lose. And we saw that with uh, um, uh, Liger during the the Super Juniors or the uh, the um, yeah the Super Juniors, where you know he was losing, and and then it was like the guy was so happy that he beat Liger that at, when it was all done, he was bowing before him, like oh my god, I, I can't believe I beat you. Uh, you know, let me bow before you and show my respect. I think that's just as powerful as Liger winning or Nagata winning. Like hey, you're still you, getting hey, those crowd reactions. Every Juice, Ko- Juice Kojima. Yeah. Perfect example of what you're talking about. Juice beats Kojima on night one or night two or whatever it was, uh, first night of whatever block that was. And, you know, he showed that respect to him afterwards. You know, like, Kojima, oh my God, I cannot believe I did that. Like, like you were you were my idol. Like, that. yeah, it's cool. It's a nice little story. I think that does more almost than the guy beating him. And even though Kojima's old, that's the biggest scalp of Juice's career. Yeah. And they presented it as such, you know, and, you know, he beat fucking Satoshi Kojima. A and guy those guys don't need it anymore. I mean, that's that's when we really look at it, we look at pro wrestling, the way it's supposed to be booked and stuff. What does Yuji Nagata need a bunch of wins for? Yoshihashi needs a win. Yoshihashi right. needs to be able to say, well, he beat Yuji Nagata in the G1 in his last G1. Like, you need that. Yuji Nagata doesn't need those. What does he need the wins for? Yeah, I, I hear you. Look, I'm, yeah. I'm not opposed to the miracle run. No, no, I'm not either. If it happened, it would be fine. But I, I like the way they do it. But I'm not opposed to this either. I can, no, no. I really can go either way on it. If it was all or nothing, if it was the old guys come in and they dominate or the old guys do what they do here, I'd much prefer the old guys do what they do here. Yeah, would it be fun to have a few here and there? Yeah, I guess. But yeah, like you said, if it's not Yuji Nagata, it's not going to be anybody. It's not going to be anybody until it gets to Tanahashi. And then we'll see, you know, we'll have that conversation when Tanahashi comes. But Nagata's the man. I mean, that's a guy who defined an era and he's going out like this. So yeah, it's it's, forget it for the next few years. There's no one else to do that way. I mean, look at Junakiyama. I mean, he took himself out of the champion carnival. And, <laughs> yeah. and he's fucking around with the Gaora TV title. You know, it's, it's look, no one beats the hourglass, you know? So, you know, eventually you gotta, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I really don't mind. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I think it'd be nice though. You know, the, the one thing that they could do now and then is, you know, it's like, he should get that big win over Foley on the last night, though. You know, I think that would be okay. Like Tenzon, yeah, you want to make, the, you make the one started. Season. Remember, yeah. Tenzon started two and zero, right? And right. that was cool. You know, and and you know he got his two emotional wins early on. You know, Nagata has it, it has the goose egg right now. It'd be nice if he got one in Sumo Hall. You know, and and you know this company doesn't even do that sometimes, though. I mean, they they would it shock you if he put up the goose egg? I mean, I don't think he will, but it wouldn't no. shock me. They're heartless, man. <laughs> They're, uh, you know, if you're if, if you can't compete, you can't compete. You're done. Get out of here. It's, it's... He just had that nice never run, which which helped get Shibata to the next level. Um, and now he's doing some nice things with the with the with the uh, with some of the young lions, Oka and Kitamura in particular. So uh, you know, and this will open up a G one spot next year. And I think you know, maybe maybe next year will be Kojima's turn to have his last tournament, yeah. or maybe Kojima's a guy 
maybe because he left. Yeah, they might just quietly yeah. send him off. Yeah, he might just they not might be just in the tournament. Quietly send them off. That's yeah. po- it's entirely possible that this could be his last. Um, I don't know that they harbor ill will towards that. That was kind of a different scenario than the Shibata scenario. Um, but you know, you never know. You know, it's so who knows? But uh, you know, it's it's a slow changing of the guard as sort of these guys as we won't see these guys in these tournaments anymore, and it will be a little weird. It's gonna be really weird seeing a best of super junior without Liger, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's gonna be. Super strange. And these guys, too. I mean, my entire G1 career has been, you know, Yuji Nagata, Kojima. I mean, these sort of guys. So it's going to be. Uh, well, I mean, Rich, there's, there's people in their 40s who haven't seen a Super Junior without Liger. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, I mean, that's his tournament, man. That's that's him. So, so that's going to be the weird one is, is that guy being not a part of or at least in the mix of that tournament for sure. Right, let's move on to the B block here. I think we're gonna have a little less to say about some of the guys here in the B block. Overall, though, I think the B block's been fine. But I think what we are, you and I, at least predicted, and, and a few others, that the A block would really be m- way more well rounded. I think we're definitely seeing that play through. I think the B block's been good, but at times a little disappointing given the names that are in there. But uh, let's, let's start off with the guys. There's uh, always the a, there, look. There's always a stronger block. I yeah, mean, it, I yeah. disagree with that, but there always is a stronger block. It doesn't mean that the other block is shit. I mean, no, it's just it's G1 season. So there's things that are better. And, and what's not good in G1 is usually still really good. But it's like, yeah, yeah. we're talking greatness versus very good. It's, it's a big difference here. But uh, yeah, top the block, uh, the B block. Uh, two guys right now, uh, Okada, Kazuchika Okada at six point, And Kenny Omega at six. We'll start with Okada. He has defeated Elgin. He's defeated Sonata. He's defeated Toru Yano. Uh, so that's his three matches. Again, we are recording this on Wednesday. So before we, we've seen through night seven. So they're going to wrestle on Thursday morning. You know, by the time most of you guys listen to this, we right. not know the result of that. But I think I'm pretty safe to say that I think Okada is going to be perfect through a pretty decent amount of this tournament. What do you think about that? I got to tell you, I mean, it probably won't happen. I wouldn't mind seeing him run the table. I think it feeds yeah, into his story. <laughs> uh, I think it feeds into his story perfectly. Um, it wouldn't make a lot of sense from some other perspectives, but uh, I loved what he's done too. I mean, I I gave the Elgin match the full five, man. I could not wait to talk about this match. I wish we had talked about it the night that I watched it. I was so fired up. I was uh, I you know I was screaming in my living room. I thought that was an aw- I thought that was one of the best matches I've ever seen. I I genuinely believe I like that match so much, Rich. I immediately reached out to Michael Elgin when it was over to tell him how much I loved it. <laughs> And, 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 you know, I'm not that kind of guy, you know what I mean? I, you know, I'm not, but I reached out to Michael Elgin privately to tell him how much I loved that fucking match. And to tell him that was one of the best matches I've ever seen in my life. I loved that fucking match. And here's the other thing, Rich, and this might surprise you because of the way that I, I, I knew Okada won and I still thought it was one of the best matches I've ever seen. And I gave it five stars and, and you know how watching spoiled matches you know, that, that ruins a lot of matches for me because I like to get wrapped up in the suspension of disbelief and everything else. And I'm still popping for near fall. There was a 2.9 fall in that match that even though I knew the result, it's still fucking fool because Okada is so great at that. That still fooled me. And the closing stretch of that match was just incredible. It reminded me of the great closing stretches of, of the glory days of all Japan. It reminded me of the great closing stretches of, of that Okada has had this year and in years past with Tanahashi and people like that. Best wrestling matches I've ever seen. I, 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 I loved it that much. I went the full five, and it's going to be right there for me on my match of the year list with the Okada Omega matches and, and uh, some of the other matches that I've loved this year. Um, and, 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 
And you're going to sit here and tell me you didn't like it as much. And you're going to tell me you gave it like four and a half, which means I know <laughs> exactly. that it was still great. Right. No, that's exactly what it was. And I, a victim of expectations in a lot of ways, because I saw you ranting and then raving and going, oh, my God, it's the greatest thing ever. And I watched it and I was like, very good. Yeah. But I felt bad because I was like, yeah, it was a little disappointing. It was like four. And like, I still fucking loved it. But I wasn't like as, you know, jump up as much as you. But no, it's still an incredible match. Yeah, I know the exact. You just don't think it was one of the greatest matches. you've ever Yeah, seen. exactly. <laughs> like, which is, you know, again, like a hot take. Like, well, like, but no, that's that's how we are at this G1 right now. It's like you don't think that's the greatest match ever. Fuck you. Like you're, you hated it. Like, yeah, no, it was great. No, those two dudes are uh, the chemistry between those two guys is awesome. And it, it was, yeah, just the atmosphere to the crowd buying into what Elgin was doing. I mean, that this, that is what the power of Michael Elgin could be. If they really wanted to get behind this guy and really do some stuff with him. Cause I, I fully believe that Elgin, if they signed him full time and if he was, they really got committed and got behind him or whatever, this guy would, would, would be a player in that company. And we, I think we saw in that match, we've seen it many other times when he goes to the big man events, it's, it's in between matches and it's, it's, you know, the times when he's off for, five or six months or whatever that it kind of gets lost in there but no i thought that was a great performance uh, other stuff from okada obviously you mentioned the elegant match a uh, sonata match that was okay um i don't know it, it didn't do a whole lot for me what do you think of that one i, I, I love the sonata. let me tell you about the sonata match okay go ahead yeah because I, I didn't get the same kind of vibe that i saw a lot of the people really really enjoyed it i love the sonata match because let me tell you something that match lulled me to sleep for like the first three quarters of the match or whatever but then when i finally got what they were doing and it sunk into me what they were doing in that match. And then the way the match finished, because Rich, and first of all, before I talk about that, we have to bring up the spot in the Elgin Okada match where Okada did the crossbody over the rail and Elgin caught that motherfucker <laughs> right. and threw him like a pile of trash back over the rail. That is the moment of this G1s to this point. Yeah, no, I, my, a- I love the Rainmaker reversal too, where, where Elgin just tosses oh. him above his body. Just like, nope, I'm stronger than you. <laughs> like... Just catching that crossbody and then the Rainmaker reversal. Oh, my God. Rich, I'm fired up. I want to watch that match right now. I want to watch it That's why I really wish they did something because Elgin can be that strong dude. You know what I mean? Like, they're really missing that kind of guy, too, in the main event where it's just a guy that just – people just bounce off of him. You you know, like that big, strong, fucking muscular guy. They don't have that right now in the the top tier of New Japan. It'd be really fun to have him in there, but, you know. I'm all about Elgin getting a title shot now. I mean, you know, I I wish he would have won. I I mean, because he was – that they had fantastic chemistry. I couldn't believe how great that was. But anyway, the Sonata match, the story that they ended up telling as I'm watching, I'm watching Battleground 2013 in the background here. Oh, God. Why are you doing this? Because I, I know you want to talk about the yes. shitty history of Battleground later, so I was getting schooled. Well, that's and, the one to watch. <laughs> Paul Heyman is out here with his client. That's right. The Intercontinental Champion, Curtis Axel. Yep. The Paul Heyman guy, Curtis Axel. So anyway, um, <laughs> that whole card, man, it's such a weird, I, I, we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it. But uh. the Sonata match, um, you know, Sonata basically dominates the match. He's <laughs> working methodically. He's working holds. He's grinding Okada down. He's not doing well in the tournament to this point. He gets squashed by Minoru Suzuki a couple nights earlier, right? Uh, he's, he's down in the dumps. But he knows if he wins this match, he can make his tournament, right? He might not win the tournament, but he, he can beat the champ. And he's dominating this man, and he's, he's, he's one step ahead of Okada all the way. And he makes one fatal error down the stretch. One fatal error to give Okada an opening. And Okada takes advantage and ends up winning the match. And it feeds into Sonata's story of a guy who's not quite there yet. But you know he's going to get there. And it feeds into Okada's story of this champion on the brink 
who's on the brink of being defeated every time he steps in the ring, but he finds a way. And he takes advantage of that one mistake Sonata makes. And he turns that into victory. And Sonata, the, the subtle look that he's giving when he's being carried out and he's leaving the ring because he knows, he knows he made that one it, fatal it, it, error. It. You know? And, and he knows that, he's, that one mistake was all it took. And that's all it takes at this level. I guess this kind of competition. He's in there with the champ. And Okada takes advantage and he wins. And I tell you, and, and I tell you then it all came together for me. That's why the first three quarters of the match were a little dry. It was just Sonata grinding this guy down because it meant so much to him to win this match. More so than maybe even because he probably, you know, in the, in the narrative, he probably, he probably knows he can't win this tournament, but he could have won this one. And he made the one mistake. And I'm telling you, this is the kind of match you've got to store it away. You've got to store away this match and this result. And what happened here? Because they're going to face each other again down the line in a bigger spot when Sonata does get by some of these guys and he does become a star and he does become a title contender. And he's not going to make that mistake the next time. And eventually he's going to beat this guy. And maybe this will be maybe a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, beating Okada will be the big win of Sonata's career. And you'll look back at this match when he had him. He had him in 2017 on some random city, on some random night of the G1. He had him, Rich, and he let it slip away. And that's the kind of shit, that's what I love about wrestling, this kind of shit. Gets me fired up. That's what I get into because I'm going to remember this match and that one mistake that he made because it's probably going to mean something three or five years from now. And that's why I love the Okada Sonata match. And that's why... I love the grade one climax, Rich. You got to get into this I stuff. To, I was waiting to see when you were going to drop the grade one climax because I knew you were going to save it for a big moment. I'm glad it came here. This is it. This, listen, this isn't going to be in anyone's top five. When it's all said and done, it's not going to be in anyone's top ten. But I'm going to remember this Sonata-Okada match. They told a nice little story here. A nice little story in the micro sense for this one little 20-minute match, and in the macro sense, in the bigger picture. Because I'm telling you, Rich, this match is going to matter. This result's going to matter. This isn't the end for this. That's oh, why I love that match. And we know it's only a matter of time, too, for, for the Sonata thing. We, we told people to wait off. It wasn't going to be this year. It's probably going to be next year. But, uh, yeah. yeah, and we're seeing it play out already. We'll talk about Sonata here in a Read little bit. Read the post-match yeah. comments on the English. P- take advantage of that English website, the New Japan Yeah, website, oh, there, yeah. Post-match comments. And you can you can read the things that's you know I'm gonna paraphrase something I'm looking at but he keeps saying things like I know I'm close I you know I I know I'm as good as these guys and I'm coming close I've got to find you know who Sonata truly is this I'm telling you this is a long term story with this guy and this match plays into it this is why I love this company so much because they do things like this you know this isn't just some random self contained match in the middle of the G1 this was a larger story being told here. And, and that's the shit that I get into. That's what fires me up. Uh, anything else about Okada um, and his G1 so far? No, I spent more time talking about Sonata. I think <laughs> we those, did, yeah. yeah. But those two matches, I, I really loved them. And the Yano match was fine. It, you know, it was a Yano match. We'll do more Yano when we get to him. And we only have three matches to go on on the people in this block. But yeah, Okada's having a great tournament. And he's having a great year. He's the wrestler of the year right now. What else is there to say? Exactly. 
Uh, we have uh, Kenny Omega now. He's also tied at six points. He's been perfect so far. He defeated Minoru Suzuki. He defeated uh, Tama Tonga, and he's defeated Toro Yano. So, so far, I think you said that you were a little disappointed so far in his output. I chalk a lot of that up to his opponents. I think his Suzuki match was incredible. Uh, and then the Tonga and, and Toriano matches, you know, I, the Toriano one that everybody was freaking out about. I watched it this morning. I was like, it's fine. It's kind like, I don't know. It was, it was what it was. I, I don't think it was this, you know, business destroying. Ma- I mean, we've had plenty of business destroying matches in the last, you know, five years or whatever. This one didn't destroy it more than any other match with a bunch of flips that Jim Cornette hates. You know, I, I you know, it's a, yeah, I didn't really care. It didn't really bother me all that much. Uh, and then the Tama Tonga one, like as far as Bell to Bell wasn't very good, but we're going to talk about a little bit more with Tama Tonga. His whole thing has been story driven. And, and this match was very much a bullet club versus elites. When he comes out, Omega walks to the ring and he's wearing an elite shirt. And Tomatonga goes, who the fuck are the elite? You know, I thought you were bullet club. Like, you know, da, da, da. and then he's, he's wrestling the entire match with the chip on his shoulder. Like, no, I'm representing bullet club here. And then when he loses, he has to kind of, you know, hug Omega. But again, it builds to that tension that eventually this is going to come to a head where the guys in the bullet club, especially, you know, Tomatonga, the bullet club OG, as he appointed himself, and, and and guys like Cody or whatever are going to be pissed that this elite thing even exists and, and it's going to fracture the company. So, yeah, that, or fracture the unit. That was the story of this match. But, yeah, Bella Bella wasn't great, but I thought, yeah. I mean, I, Omega's going to have some awesome match. He's still got guys left to go. He's still got a Kojima. He's still got Okada, of course. He's still got Juice Robinson. He's still a Sanat. I mean, I, I would I would argue other than Suzuki. Yeah, oh, no, and Elgin. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I forgot. And they just had an incredible match a few weeks ago. So, yeah, I mean, that he's going to have a good output. So, people worried maybe about Omega. Right, he's faces two worst guys right now in Tomatonga and Toriano. And I think he, he's, he's going to be the better for it once it's all said and done. It, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I said he didn't have great bell-to-bell output yet, but I'm not necessarily disappointed. I think you you nailed it dead on. The Suzuki match was a very, very interesting match. I don't think it was a great match, but I thought it was a very interesting match. The Yano match, I have a problem with the Yano match. That's exactly what I thought Kenny Omega and Yano would beat. I, you know, so I'm with you on that. I have no problem with that. Um, and the, uh, the uh, what was it? Oh, yeah, and, and you covered the Tonga match perfectly. I mean, I thought that was a great story-driven match that advanced the uh, Bullet, Cl- Bullet Club strife. And I think... Uh, the thing about it is Omega uh, hasn't had a match yet that has really pushed his body to the limit. Look, this guy has to be physically taxed from the matches he's had this year. And, uh, you know, you know, he's taken it easy so far. His big matches are in front of him. So I'm not worried about Kenny Omega at all. When it's all said and done, he's going to have a monster tournament. We all know that. All right, move on to some other guys here in the B block we have now. So those are the two guys, perfect right now, Omega and Okada. Uh, maybe I'll just ask you real quick before we get to those guys. Would you have them go perfect until their match? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that'd be awesome, right? It, I don't. I mean, I, I, I don't. I mean, I thought Suzuki was going to win the block. Um, I still think that that's a good choice, but I mean, I, I don't know. You got Omega and Okada there, and now Suzuki doesn't have the tiebreaker, so. That's the last uh, night, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's I'm. I mean, now more than ever, it's it's kind of there. I mean, unless Omega goes How on. How awesome would that be? Both of those guys undefeated going into the final match. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to have Omega go on a big losing streak, and you look at some of the guys, and it's like I don't. I mean, would you? I yeah, at this point, I'd be almost be like, I don't know, maybe just have him win it all. Like, I don't want him losing to you know Kojima, and I don't want him losing to Evil. Like at this point, just do it. Yeah, go go perfect and have it be that final match. Why not? I mean, none of those other guys really need the win over Omega. You, you know, like, yeah. Listen, am I going to complain if Okada and Omega are undefeated <laughs> when they face each other for their third epic match of the year? No, that'd be fucking incredible. That'd be great. be awesome. No complaints out of me. I'm taking off the analyst hat. I would just love that as a fan. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so, uh, we have Evil. Four points for Evil here uh, in the G1. He's uh, defeated Juice Robinson, lost to Sonata, beat Tamatango. What do you think about Evil so far? Evil is really coming in his own as a worker, man. I'll tell you. And he's doing it quietly. 
um, you know, overshadowed by a lot of people. His closing stretches are becoming something else with these reversals of the STO, um, the evil, as he calls it. Uh, evil's evil. The very, yeah, the very. Um, <laughs> creatively called evil. Yeah. What are you going to call your finisher, uh, evil? Ah, uh, evil. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, some of these reversals are, and, and these reversal, uh, you know, the, the match against Juice, I mean, the closing stretch of that was, was awesome. So, again, evil is sort of the Yoshihashi of his block, right? Like, you're not thinking about him, but he's having an excellent tournament. You know, he's having this excellent tournament and he's like the ninth guy you would think of in terms of who's having a great tournament. It's, it's just, this thing has been so deep and there's just no weak links. And, uh, he certainly hasn't been one. I've, I've loved everything he's done. I'll <clears throat> uh, move on a few other guys here. Uh, we will go a little bit quicker here. Cause I know we're, we're running a little low on time here with as far as uh, the G1, uh, Minoru Suzuki, four points for him as well. Suzuki has uh, lost to Kenny Omega, beat Juice Robinson, beat Sonata. I'm, uh, I've been pretty happy so far with uh, Minoru Suzuki. Uh, I was a little worried there'd be a little too much Suzuki gun. It, it, it's at times been a little overdone, especially with his matches. Like the, the Omega one was almost Just the a perfect Omega match. match. That's it. Oh, my God. Like it was, it was there. It was there. It was almost perfect. And it's like, God damn it. Just leave them away. Like that match would have been so good. And it was one of those ones that I hate to do that. But just having them go in there at, at the time they did, it just it really docked that match for me. That was one that was well on its way to being, if not you know top five, maybe my favorite match of the entire G one. And then that happens, and I'm just like, nope, it just it kills it. So. Yeah, but they've made up for all sins because he totally squashed Juice Robinson and Sonata. Oh yeah, made them look like and, complete fools. Yeah, and it was great because what we saw was this, this the Minoru Suzuki that I want to see, this vicious, nasty monster who's legitimately terrifying. That's the Suzuki I want. I want the Suzuki, you said it best, who's like a cannibal. Who right. You're afraid will eat you. Like this guy. You gotta drag him away so he doesn't rip the flesh off these guys. <laughs> like, yes. And he doesn't need the help. He doesn't need Taichi. He doesn't need El Desperado. Okay. He's just squashing these guys. And it's great. That's the Suzuki I love. And I was so scared after that Omega match that we were going to get a whole tournament of that stuff. It was still a good match. But, man, those two squash matches against Juice, poor Juice was taking a beating. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Sonata, I mean, man, and read the Sonata comments after that match. I mean, he's just so down on himself. I can need to find my – because this guy's just squashing people. That's the Suzuki I love. Not the Suzuki who relies on the outside help. This is the Suzuki I want to see. So I've enjoyed, I enjoyed those two squash matches a lot. Uh, now we got a bunch of guys tied at two here. We got Michael Elgin at two. He has uh, defeated Kojima, lost to Okada, lost to Tama Tonga. What do you think about Michael Elgin so far? We talked about it basically with the Okada match. I mean, that's really bad. Yeah, I love the there, Kojima but... match. Man. And the Kojima I match thought... too. Yeah, yeah. The, let's lump in Kojima too, since we're short on time. Yeah, let's do it, yeah. Um, we talked a lot about Elgin, and you know, to me, how great that match was. Uh, we'll lump in Kojima because I thought Kojima had a, a good match again against Elgin, and I thought Kojima had a really good match against Juice Robinson uh, to open up the block. Um, and he has zero points. He's the Nagata of this block. You know, he may put up the goose egg, but you know, he'll probably end up with two or four points somewhere in that range. Um, but he, it's not Kojima. You know what he's been? He's been opening up the block. He's usually the first mat. He's usually the first G one match of the night. So he's only getting eight or nine minutes and it's, you know, it's not a big match. And I think he's making the most of it though, because the matches against juice and Elgin, he certainly made the most of his time. The other match, um, you know, through the time of this recording was a Yano match, which you just have to throw out because it's Yano. Yeah. Um, and Elgin, we already talked about. So um, who else we got? 
Oh, we had Juice Robinson. He's also a two. I would say, I mean, as far as, as guys that we talk about MVP, I mean, Juice Robinson's not going to be in the mix, but I, I don't know what award we have to give him for this G1, but man, Juice has has shown himself to absolutely be a guy that that if they wanted to say, hey, Juice, you, you want to be here for the long haul? We want you here for the long haul. We're going to do stuff with you. This has been an awesome turner for Juice Robinson. Even in losing, even when he's getting squashed by Suzuki, the guy is a million bucks. I mean, it's incredible what he's been able to do this turn. He is one of the stories of the tournament. There's yeah. no question. There's Yuji Nagata. There's Kota Ibushi and the great matches he's having. And, you know, there's Juice Robinson. And this guy's continued. This is his year, man. He's This is his year where he has uh, stepped up. And, uh, you know, last year we saw flashes, but this is the year where he's really stepped in and and, and made a, everyone take notice. Uh, you had to be a hardcore to notice last year. This year, everyone has taken notice. Um, and and, and the, just the progressive beatings that he's taking and his match-to-match, you know, he's selling the beatings from the night before the next night in the tag matches or the next tournament match two nights later. Um, so it, it's he's he's not just done a job, good job on a match-to-match basis, but he's done a good job in the tournament as a whole, uh, telling one long story throughout the entire tournament. You, you can't say enough good things about him, and I'm really, really looking forward to that Kenny Omega match with Juice Robinson. I think Kenny Omega is going to go out of his way to have a, a really great match with this guy. Yeah, I think that's something that uh, needs to be said. I mean, uh, Robinson, as far as who he's fa- – he's still got Elgin to go, still got Okada, still has Omega, <laughs> still has Sonata. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's crazy. I mean, those, those right there are like – I, those are the matches I've been looking forward to. The, the ones that he's had so far, I wasn't looking forward to, and those have right. been great. So and they've it, been impressive, yeah. Yeah, so sky's the limit, really, on it, when it's all said and done for this tournament. I don't know what award, like I said, that we can give him, but he, he deserves something. I don't know what it is, but uh, he's just been he's been so good so far. Uh, Sonata, I think we've talked enough about Sonata right there. He's got two points yeah. as well. I think we talked about him a little bit. This isn't the year for him, but he's starting to show those signs. Like you said, he's planting seeds. Uh, throughout uh Tama Tonga also at two points i think the big story about him as i mentioned has been sort of the character uh matches as he's kind of emerging as as the de facto representative from bullet club the bullet club og is kind of what he's been uh, referring himself as um and then i know that kevin kelly and, and Callis, i was listening to the english commentary the first few nights uh they've been driving that home a lot as well and as i always say if they're talking about it it's 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 a company initiative. Those guys just don't grab something out of their head. Don Callis doesn't just decide, oh, I'm going to call Tomatonga the OG or whatever. Like, there's there's, there's seeds being planted there. So whether it, be, it is going to be a, a, a Tomatonga-Kenny Omega match down the line or whatever, they're, they're planting seeds that Tomatonga plays a big role in the Bullet Club, and, and this whole tournament has, has sort of shown that as well. Yeah, well, the Bullet Club is weird right now in that there's baby faces in the faction and there's heels in the faction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's one of the guys it's who's fracturing. Heel. Yeah, it, it, it's fracturing more so than even any other unit where – yeah. And then there's clear lines and there's clear little subgroups. It's it's not like there's subgroups in chaos. Like chaos, yeah, has those shades of gray guys or whatever, and most of them are kind of baby faces at this point or whatever. But right. you have clear hill face lines and you have clear faction lines within the same unit. So it's going to come to a head at some point. And and Tong has been wrestling that sort of style where he, where he's representing Bullet Club, and that's essentially all you need to yep. kind of get out of his matches. Uh, Toriano two points. I I'm not even going to go through it. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like people get so look, it's not crazy look, about look he's not my he's not my cup of tea. And I, I don't know why people get so upset about this. Like, it, I don't either. I don't. Either. We know it's what like, he's there for. I know what he's there for. I always yeah. say every single year he's perfect for the G one because he's the. You can have him lose to anybody. You can have him win against anybody. I understand that, but I also at the same time can say I wish he wasn't there and I wish somebody was a better worker in his place. That's not crazy to say that. Like, I'm sorry. Listen, we're, we're great nerds. <laughs> right. I'd rather sorry. have a guy in there having great matches. I'm it's sorry. I'm tell and, you, I don't understand why. You know, and here. it's. Like, it, and I'm not offended by his presence, though. That's the thing. Like, look, if we didn't do this podcast, would I be skipping his matches? Oh, God, Probably. yes. Yeah, yeah. And that's whatever. I don't I just I just who has time for this shit? You know, it's like 
And who am I going to skip? Am I going to skip him or am I going to skip these guys that are having great matches? I'm going to skip him because he just doesn't happen to be my cup of tea. I'm not offended by his presence. I'm not, I don't think his matches are terrible. They're just not my bag of chips. And listen, that's okay. Okay. You look, not everyone appeals to everyone and that's fine. I get what his, why he's there and what his purpose is. I understand. It's a nice night off whenever somebody faces him. And this is a grueling tour. I get it. And I understand why he's entertaining to people. My thing about Toroyano is I'd be very entertained by Toroyano if I saw him three times a year. But because I watch every fucking New Japan show, there's not a wrestler on this roster who wears out his welcome faster than Toroyano. I, I mean, for me anyway. I've seen one Toro Yano match. I've seen them all. And I'm just, it, it, it wears on you after a while. I, I, it's the same old shit. That's all. It, you know, if I was a casual New Japan fan and I watched, you know, four New Japan shows a year, I'd probably love the guy. Yeah, but the, the, the 300th time you've seen him this year, take I'm off just the tired of it. it. It's just not yeah. for me anymore. I just, I've had it. And, and do, the, do the shrug and, and yeah. get in the ropes and say rope break, rope break, yeah. break, break, break. Like, yeah, I've seen it all. Like, it's fine. Like, whatever. I don't hate the but, guy. Yeah, I don't hate it, the guy. I, you know, I've been, no, like, I, I don't know why people cannot handle that. Like some people might, you know, not might want something <laughs> different in the G1. It, I whatever. I, I don't want to get into it. It's I was told. It I was get, told it was the worst take in the history of Twitter, saying that that you, know, you I, personally I, don't want to watch the matches. Right? That was the worst take in the history. I mean, come on. You, I can understand what people love about him. Why can't people understand why he would? Why you would be tired of it? Right. I don't understand and why people we get, can't understand that. Similar to the WrestleMania is about the moments and not the matches. The thing that we started saying and then people started telling us, guys, it's not about the matches, it's about the moments. Like, yeah, we know we're the ones that talk about it. We understand that. And like, so we get the people who explain, well, you know why Toriano's in it? Yeah, I, I understand. I've said it. I, I know. I, I get it. And it's fine. Yeah, that he's get in it, there. dummies. Yeah. But, you know, part yeah. of me deep down goes, ah, you know what? I'd be fine with a, a, a better guy in that match. But hey, if it's a skip, if it's basically like, hey, I can go to the bathroom while a Toriano match is going on, whatever then. Yeah, that's if. Whatever, <laughs> like I, it just it doesn't doesn't bother me one way or another. But okay, yeah, let's move on. I'm, I'm just yeah. tired of this topic. Let's move on. So Don't you go, Dima? Zero points for him. Goose egg so far. Um, um, we sort of talked did. about it with the Nagata. Is there something afloat here? Is it just a he hasn't gotten the right draws yet? But I don't know. I mean, a zero at this point is eh, I don't know. You read more yeah. into that than. Uh, I mean, look. Um, I I don't know. I think we already talked about it. Um, wouldn't shock me if it's his last one. Um, wouldn't shock me if next year's the last one. It wouldn't shock me if, you know, he finished with zero points or two points. Um, you know, maybe he'll beat Tomatonga or something. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, he doesn't need to win. So he's not going to win. Yep. So, but this is a guy who in the last few years, he wasn't in it last year, but like the year prior, I think he only had six points or something. Yeah, he's not so. a guy that gets a lot of points anyway. But yeah, the, the zero yeah. seems, but it's only been three matches to be fair. Um, so and, he could very well he hasn't had a, He hasn't had a singles push in a long time. Whereas no, Nagata had a sing- Nagata just had a singles push, you know, last year. So the last Kojima singles, I mean, it wasn't even a push. It was just that one-off, you know, match against Okada, and that was God. What is that? 2013 at this point. He had a title match against Okada, and it was either 12 or 13. So, um, yeah, that was his last significant singles match. If you don't count the NWA, like NWA <laughs> title yeah. matches, which I'm not going to, by the way, I'm not going to count that as. Um, yeah. So, and as far as his last sustained push. His last sustained push ended when he lost the IWGP heavyweight title to Hiroshi Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom 2011. That was it for uh, Satoshi Kojima as a main event wrestler. That match, that was it. 
That was his final stand as a main event wrestler. So January 2011. So yeah, it's not shocking at all that he's not picking up wins. All right, and that is our G1 Talks. We'll move on to our other topics here now. Before we do that, though, I do want to let you know that also this episode of the Voice Wrestling Podcast is being sponsored by our friends at ZipRecruiter. And Joe, you and I both know successful businesses become successful by finding great talent like we have in this G1. Uh, you and I also know how difficult it is to find that great talent. You especially <laughs> are well aware of that. I'm here to tell you, worry no longer. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology will officially match the right people to your job, unlike other job sites. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. No, Joe, it finds them. Over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No more juggling emails or trying to figure out if people actually put their emails on the resume, as you know. Uh, no more annoying, annoying calls to your phone. Screen rate and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results listeners to the voice of wrestling flagship podcast can post jobs to zip recruiter for free that's right free just go to ziprecruiter.com slash vow that's ziprecruiter.com slash vow one more time to try it for free ziprecruiter.com slash vow all right where do you go now we got many different directions we got your mystery segment we got kobe world we got battleground where do you want to go here Let's do Battleground. We got to do Battleground. Then we can do the mystery segment. Oh, okay. All right. Then we'll wrap it up with Dragon Gate just because we'll run out of time and blow it <laughs> off again. No, we got to do it. We, no, gotta. We'll get, we got plenty of time. No, we're we're gonna not going to spend a ton of time on Battleground. Uh, no, I, I have very, very few thoughts about Battleground. So, Battleground Rich was one of the worst pay-per-views this company has had in uh, a long, long time. Would you agree with that assessment? Uh, I would agree. Yeah. I mean, there was oh. nothing I, other than we're going to talk about the opener. Yeah, uh, the rest of it was an absolute. I had many friends that were like, "Hey, I was like, just stop, just don't, don't even watch it, just don't." I promise you, there is a better way in late July to spend two or three hours. I promise you, there's a better way. This, this is one of them. I mean, this is, and, and you know, given their history, there's, there's probably been worse ones, you know, '95 or whatever. There's probably some shitty ones in '99 and and stuff, and they probably had worse ones throughout the years. Uh, maybe during the, you know, the brand, the original brand split era, there was probably maybe some really bad SmackDown one. But like when you talk about the talent that this roster that they have on this roster, I mean, in terms all things considering, it's almost unacceptable for them to have as shitty a pay per view as they did on this one. But this was, this is something special, and it, it it's it's a bad trend for the SmackDown brand, man. They have their pay per views have been garbage for the past few months. Yeah, it's becoming a trend now, and uh, that's scary. I think um, well, the BG big James teams- says fine. Like he he responded with saying it was good. I liked it. Like I, that's my new favorite thing is is Road Dog Jesse James going on Twitter going it was a good show. Like similar to the the old Vince McMahon like good show with a good ending or whatever. Like, yeah. Have you caught any of those? Like he's on there immediately afterwards. It's like what do you think? Of, what do you think of Battleground? He's like I loved it. <laughs> Why is he even on Twitter? I don't know. You know that's the kind of guy. He, what a show! I loved it. It's like dude, come on. Like, he shouldn't even be on Twitter. Like he should just. It's like you don't see Triple H bothering with Twitter. You know, you don't see Vince McMahon. Or he's just, or like stuff. ham, he's just hamming it up. You know, hey, we're coming here to NXT. There you go. Like that's it. Yeah, there, it's not and really Vince that. Man's got those, right? Vince got the stupid press release things. Like we are, we love Black History Month. <laughs> it's just like okay, Vince. Yeah. Vince doesn't even know his Twitter password. Let's be honest. Um, you know, they're not making those tweets. You know, I do like on. adding the Vince McMahon account though a lot. That is my favorite thing ever. Every time I have a request for the network, I like add it at Vince. Well, sure, uh, absolutely. Because <laughs> I, I, as somebody who runs social media accounts, I know that person has to go there and just like, oh god, like, I don't care. 
Make sure like, that. Yeah, yeah, what are you get this world class wrestling up? And he's just like, I don't care. I don't know what that is. Hey, I'm watching. Uh, Let's get Super Astros up there, Vince. It's like I don't. <laughs> like he remembers that. He doesn't even remember <laughs> that it exists. Um, I'm watching his video package for Battleground 13 with the <laughs> with the Rhodes family with their jobs on the line. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And the Dusty promo where he gave Steph the hand. Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she throws his hand at it away because, remember, that legitimately upset her because he went off the script and he gave her the hand. I forgot all about that, but they showed it in the video package there. So and you could see the look of annoyance on her face when she gets the hand with uh, ROH World Champion Cody Rhodes getting destroyed here. <laughs> um, okay, so I think the big themes with this battleground, I think it's one of the worst pay-per-views they've had in years. Um, if you take away the opener, which was excellent. The tag team title match, New Day. First team to win a SmackDown and Raw tag title since the split, correct? I believe uh, that's correct, yeah. Because not many teams have jumped sides yet. So, uh, But, uh, you know, I thought that was a four-star match at least. Um, after that, it was all downhill from there. I think uh, one of the big themes is uh, Jinder Mahal stinks, and they clearly know it at this point. Yeah, and they know um, he's not even a draw because they had to bring the actual draw from India in. It's yeah, and and that was gonna be my next point. It's uh, the Singh brothers do all of the work for this guy in these matches. Can you all imagine of these, these matches without them? Can you even fathom? Yeah, you can't. Those the guys, he can't without hang. the Singh brothers taking ridiculous bumps. Those matches Jinder, have nothing then. Jinder Mahal just can't hang at this level. He can't. He cannot hang at this level in the ring. They know it, and the Singh brothers are the crutch, and they provide all of the action in these Jinder Mahal matches. And now it's almost like. Now they, like you said, they bring in Great Kali to provide the star power, uh, a genuine, <laughs> a genuine Indian star, like doing? a guy who's a genuine star to the Indian people. Uh, what are we doing then? Um, <laughs> Why are we doing so? That? At this point, it's almost like, what do we need Jinder Mahal for? Um, and I'm not being facetious at all, Rich. I, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's almost like there's never been a right place, right time situation. You know, wrestling a lot of the times is right place, right time, right? But for Jinder Mahal, I mean, could he? Could there is there a more of a right place, right time situation than this guy? I mean, he just you know, it literally could have been anyone. It could have been Mahabali Shira. Yeah, it whatever Indian San- was was in that locker room at that time. It could have been Sanjay Dutt. It could have been you know, insert whatever other. I can't think of any other Indian wrestlers honestly, uh, off the top of my head. But it could have been Great Kali, Tiger Ali Singh. Kali. Yeah, anyone you know, anyone genuinely from India. Uh, or of India, and this guy's from Canada. He's not even Indian, <laughs> right? And I you think know? Punjabi and it, it's like, is not even like I think it's like the thirteenth most spoken language or something like that in India. It's not even like because I know people are like, oh, it's this is why they're doing it, and they're like, I don't know that they're even doing a good job of it, like of what they think that they're doing. But okay, so I mean, he's a he's a poor worker. Um, look, he's he mean mugs very well, uh, and I'm, again, I'm not being facetious. I think the way he presents himself is excellent. Yeah, in the promo looks, and things he like looks that. Smart. For sure. He looks like a mean dude and he he's portrays anger and uh, all those sorts of things very well. Um, oh, here come the shield through the crowd. I yeah. forgot about all this stuff, man. Mm-hmm. It's not that long ago. Um, but he just can't go and they know it. And how great are these Singh brothers? I mean, and it's not just the wild bumps that they take because they're great at that, but even just as general lackeys in the promos and being yes men and they're just, you know, we 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 picked on the Bollywood boys a lot, Rich. I did especially. It's you got to give them credit. I mean, they've ta- they they've they've gotten this big time main event spot. 
and they've run with it and they've done a tremendous job. Um, you know, I, I can't praise them enough. I think they've been excellent in every facet of what they've been asked to do. And hopefully when this gender Mahal thing runs its course, those guys are taken care of because I think they deserve it. Yeah. Um, I think they deserve a shot at something because they've worked very hard and they are the most redeeming thing of all of these gender Mahal matches. Cause it certainly isn't gender Mahal. Uh, and I wanted to say it's not Randy Orton either. I mean, we got to talk about this guy's 2017, which which is is going down as one of the. I mean, when you add in the Bray feud and this feud, I mean, this is a historically awful year that Randy Orton's having. Yeah, he's in two of the worst feuds of the year, and that that's hard to do. <laughs> like true contenders for worst feud of the year, and like runaway contenders for worst feud of the year, uh, worst feud of the year is definitely the why. This one's getting very close to it because it's like this, especially this match, which was just the so you, the optics of this match in general. Like, so you had the Punjabi prison, which, which nobody could fucking see. All we had on Twitter was a bunch of people with, 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 you know, pictures of how they couldn't see shit in the ring. They had no idea what's going on in the ring. Everyone's looking at the video board. They had to move the video board up that they have. Because a lot of times, I don't know I don't know when the last time you've been to like a, a, a WWE live event or whatever, but a lot of times in the Jumbotron, they won't show, or like the Titantron or whatever, they won't show the match because they don't want they don't want that angle where, because you'll see it a lot of times where they shoot towards the Titantron and the Titantron just has a logo on it. They don't want to have that weird thing where you're seeing the match twice. Maybe I don't know if it's a right. done thing or whatever, but they don't want that little lag or whatever where you're up on the Titantron and, and this stuff. So if any anytime the camera cuts to that shot that shows the Titantron, they don't show anything on the Titantron. So you rely on the overhead uh, Jumbotron if they if they have one of those. Well, in this case, and people were saying from in Philadelphia, they had to raise that thing so fucking high that nobody on the floor could even see that. So everybody on the floor couldn't see shit the entire match. Um, half the match was just spent with like figuring out ways for people to get in and out. I think there was like four or five different ways. Like Randy Orton jumps to the second cage at one point. The Sting Brothers just climb under the cage. Like, yeah, you know, here's the other thing. <laughs> I was like, what the like, fuck are we doing here? There's just seven putting, ways to get in out of yeah, this thing. They're, they're putting this structure over as this impenetrable structure. And meanwhile, the Singh brothers are doing whatever the fuck they want. They're sliding underneath. They're climbing <laughs> they over the top. I was just like, all right, what are we doing here? It's like, oh, he can get they're underneath. They're in the first cage. Like... They're in the second cage. So how hard is this thing to get out of? Right. These guys are getting out of it, in and out of it like nothing. You know, so the psychology was all thrown off. Well, and then Orton was like spending um, all this time trying to get out of the one door so he could get to the next door. And then like later in the match, he just jumps to the second cage. And it's just like, well, fuck, yeah. dude. You spent 20 minutes trying to get out of the first cage. Why don't you just do this? Why don't you just jump? Like it took you 20 seconds to do that. Just that the, the I mean, match, that everything was fucking horrible. This match was so just bad. It's a terrible match. It's just a terrible match. Nothing about it worked. Poor Randy Orton took a legitimate beating in this thing. I mean, he came out of it all bloodied and scarred up. Uh, the worst kind of bleeding, too. Like, you almost rather blade than have the kind of cuts that he had. These cuts oh, yeah, these, these the over he, his back. Yeah, that he's every shower he's taken and every time he's went down to bed is, is, is hurt. Like, that's those. Like, you'll take a blade because you can throw a little bandage on it or whatever. Yeah, these, these hurt every single time he puts a shirt on or whatever. Yeah, those are no fun. He's working with an absolute goof in Mahal who doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, you know, and that doesn't help. Uh, it, it's just, yeah. And, and then, you know, the, the, just the absurdity of the great Kali doing a walk-in at the end of the match. I can't even call it a run-in. I don't think that man has, has been able to run since, you know, 2006. Uh, you know, if he was even able to run then. Um, you know, I'm watching this Battleground 2013, Rich. Do you remember when Dean Ambrose was like the coolest motherfucker yep. in the room? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, and they, they had it even last year, even the year after that, uh, 2014. He was still the coolest motherfucker. 2015, he still had kind of done it, and then... I'm watching these, the Rhodes family versus the Shield here, and Dean Ambrose is just, he's just begging to be a fucking megastar, Mm -hmm. you know? 
he's just the coolest motherfucker in this building, in this entire building. He is the coolest dude in the room. And he just screams megastar. Mm-hmm. And how they blew it with this guy is just amazing to me. I mean, the, you didn't have to change this dude at all. Nope. You didn't have to stick him in jeans. You didn't have to make him a rodeo clown. You didn't have to have him spraying mustard all over the place. You didn't have to have, you know. They showed you know, that because it was like National Hot Dog Day last year or last week, rather. And I went on like Facebook and like, of course, they're like, oh, the king of National Hot Dog Day is Dean Ambrose. And they showed just Dean Ambrose squirting ketchup at people. And I'm just like, God, yeah. And, you know, you don't have to pound down everybody's throat that he's the lunatic fringe and he doesn't have to be doing, you know, wacky stand up comedy in his promos. This guy, he's got the slick back hair. He looks like mm-hmm. a star. He's he's he 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 looks crazy. He looks a little unbalanced without them pounding it down your throat. You know what I mean? He's got that whole Roddy Piper thing going combined with a little Jake Roberts combined with a little bit of but with a tough guy edge. And the, he is so very clearly the biggest potential star out of these three guys that it's not even close. And somehow they blew it. It really is amazing. I'm, I mean, I'm watching this and it's just I, I can't, you know, it's like I know we were screaming it in real time, but it's just more obvious now. The two biggest stars in this match are him and Dusty Rhodes. It's not even close. I mean, you can't even see anybody else. You can't take your eyes off of Dean Ambrose and Dusty Rhodes. And they're not even wrestling in the match. It's Cody and Goldust against Rollins and Reigns. But you can't take your eyes off the managers because they're the most charismatic people in this match by a mile. Yeah. You know, he was and, a shoo I mean, I talk about that one moment where, where I think Rollins was on top of a ladder and Ambrose's music hit and he ran out there and that crowd just went absolutely ape shit. And they were like, yeah, oh, here we that go. was the moment. Yep. yep. And then he was squirting mustard like a week later. And you can't <laughs> Our TVs back. were blowing up in his face and shit. It's that fucking Bray Wyatt, the goddamn vortex. Like, yeah. Nobody can escape. He really the is fucking... the eater of worlds. He is. Yeah. <laughs> he really is the fucking eater of worlds. And you can't bring this Ambrose back, you know? And it's funny because the two guys, you know, there's there's three people in this match getting pushed harder than he is, and you know Cody, worldwide, and and Rollins and Reigns, and and it's so clear that this guy's the star in this match. I mean, it's just patently obvious to anyone watching. It's just crazy. But anyway, I know who's not a star, and that's Jinder Mahal. Um, this match stunk. There was just a million things wrong with it. Great Kali comes waddling down to the ring, and I don't know. It's you know maybe this India thing will take off, and if it does, you know what can you know you got to keep rolling with it then you know no matter how bad these Jinder Mahal matches are if if it catches on in India then what we're then we're just gonna look like goofs but um he's not a guy I'm interested in watching that's for sure again and, and the thing about the catching on in India thing like I, I is it really best to have like your Indian star be a chump that needs like four or five people to come help him and he he looks like shit and he's talks like I, I, I don't know I like to me if I'm gonna build the Indian star it's the Sanjay Dutt story it's the guy who, who triumphs or whatever not the guy who needs yeah. four guys to beat an American but whatever like I don't know if that's the story I'm gonna tell if I'm gonna really try to say I, yeah, hey, we've been through it. yeah I look agree at this weakling who needs four other Indians to beat the strong American man there but the go. other like, thing about that is can Jinder Mahal be an effective baby face I don't think he can no and, I mean he's very much a heel yeah. oh yeah and that's not meant as an insult. Oh, no, I mean, no. he's a heel. Yeah. He's, he's good at that, the, the dynamics of, of heel dynamic. But yeah, it, it's it's a mess. Right. So um, They'd have to find another baby face somewhere. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know. Malabala Shira. Either Malabala. Have, <laughs> Give Malabala a call. Yeah, and Shira's even worse <laughs> than Jinder in the ring, even though he has more, you know, he's better baby face charisma, I think. Shuffle, too. Sanjay does not the guy. Shuffle the world, so you can just have him do the shuffle and. 
I mean, you know, I, and, and then it, you'd be looking at, you know, underdeveloped guys in India, like legitimate Indians, you know, um, which none of which are probably ready at this point. So, you know. So the Canadian guy that's uh, of Indian descent is, is your Indian superstar. So there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, I guess that's Battleground. I, I don't guess know. The yeah, other, I, mean, I guess yeah. one of the other themes of the show would have to be, uh, you got it, you know, a big W for Trevor, the Irish wrestling fan, right? I mean, he nailed it the night of the fucked up finish. Yeah, so what's the, the, what's the full story on that? I was super confused, and I still don't know if I know. So let, let people know what, what what's... Well, Dave Meltzer doesn't know either, so don't feel bad about it. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a fucked up finish, and they put the title right back on AJ Styles on Tuesday night. So I don't know who screwed up. It was it, it looked off in real time. I know it did to me, at least, and to pretty much everyone. How did, did it seem like the right finish to you? And you no, did it to me. No. And you can see the look on, and you can tell, like you can tell, cause guys are so trained and so focused and all that. So you can tell if anything slightly fucks up, then it causes like weird dynamics. Like the ref doesn't quite know what to do styles. Didn't, cause, cause these guys are on, like these guys are on the ball. They know how to react and everything. They know how to sell every single thing. Like, they, and, and so when you see something where it just seems like everything's just a second slow, you usually assume that something weird's happening. Like the ref kind of was like looked up and was like, "Uh oh!" Like Styles kind of had a weird look on his face. Uh, Owens wasn't quite sure what to do. The bell took a second to ring. Like the music took a second to go. Like so, you can tell whenever it's like that little inch or so of like space that isn't there normally. When it's there, you can tell something's weird is going on, and that that's absolutely what happened with this match. And and it's supposedly Styles threw a tantrum after the match when the cameras were off, you know, doing backstage stuff or whatever. So something went wrong. Yeah. Um, but Styles didn't even attempt to kick out. No, and that, that's what's kind of weird about the story because the idea is that, yeah, he was supposed to kick out and forgot to or maybe he only heard two. The, the, the plausible thing is that maybe he only heard the mat get slapped twice or whatever and decided at three he was going to do it, you know, one of those 2.9 Okada ones or whatever. Right, right. Those kickouts. I could see that because then you wouldn't have seen him like at two. He wasn't going to like look like he was going to kick out. He didn't even flinch at any point. No, that's what's a little weird. So I don't know. <laughs> But you could but, tell that that wasn't the planned finish because it was just an no. awkward yeah. point in the match. Uh, so, yeah. But and Owens uh, was in a mood, too. If you watch the uh, Talking Smack, too, he was uh, not in a He very, was in a bizarre mood. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was very weird the whole time. So, But, um, yeah, I mean, up to that point, though, I thought it was a pretty good match. But when your finish is a fucked up, you know, when you have a botched finish, it's it's you can't, you know what I mean? So even when this poor show battleground had a good match, it has a botch finish, which is, a, which is a mess. Um, you had the women's five way, which was nothing special, but, and all, you know, it was probably the second best match of the night. I mean, all told because, uh, you had the botch finish in the AJ Steen match. I, oh my God. I just called him Steen. Didn't I? You did. But Owens match. And then, uh, the Punjabi prison match was shit. Yeah. And, um, you know, nothing else on this match uh, on this card was any good. Uh, you know, the Mike Bennett Canellis. I'm sorry. The Mike Canellis Sami Zayn match was a nothing television match. And, you know, I was just ripping on Jinder Mahal. It's very obvious that Mike Canellis is not of WWE work rate. No, and we knew it. I mean, come on. People lied to themselves and said he was better than he was. He, the guy's trash. I mean, he's not any good. No. And, uh, you know, now more than ever, there is a, you know, there's a working standard in this mm-hmm. company. Okay. They may not be putting on. You know, uh, you know, five star classics on a nightly basis in this company, but there is a working standard in this company, and Mike Canellis just isn't at that standard. He just isn't. 
And, you know, this match, you know, made that obvious as he dragged Sami Zayn down to his mediocre level. The guy just isn't very good. Yeah, and I thought he would have a floor when he was there, and I thought he'd just be able to be, like, a good... And, and, and maybe to the extent he's a good sort of TV WWE guy, but it is very obvious now more than ever that that, that TV WWE guy is is a step below. You, you know what I mean? Like, the, the standard like guy that can go in there and, and, and not fuck anything up for three minutes or whatever and, and you know, work to the hard cam and get in and out of there and hit his commercial. But, like, that's what they wanted for a lot of years, and now it almost seems, like, so out of date and so passe now to have a guy like that. Because Mike Bennett is working probably what Mike Bennett thinks the WWE want. And it's just, it it sticks out like a sore thumb these days. He's Kurt Hawkins. Yeah. I mean, that's what he is, you know? And, and do you trust him to have a 25 minute main event? God, no, no, you can't. He's not of the standard of this company. Um, you know, and I don't know where they go from here for him to lose in such decisive, quick fashion. in his first pay-per-view match tells me, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To the guy who never wins. And a nothing feud that doesn't mean anything. You would think that this would be a feud that would build a Mike Kanellis if they were going to do something with him. He lost in like five minutes. You know, and and and, the, and Maria's interference didn't matter, and he just lost. So I don't even think they got plans for this guy. I he definitely would have won this match against a guy like Sami Zayn who was just treadmilling at this point. And it was a nothing match. And then you know the Cena Rusev match. You know, I'm watching this in real time, and I don't know if you were on Twitter at the moment, but uh, this reminded me of like a 1985 house mat, house show match <laughs> at the end of a 47-day tour <laughs> right. where neither guy wants to take a bump. I mean, this was horrendous. This was a 20-minute match where they didn't do 21 a thing. 21-10. This 21-10. 20-minute match where they didn't do a thing until Cena gave him that AA through the table, which was a great spot. Don't get me wrong. Okay, it looked great. It was a good finish. But they didn't do anything in this 21-minute match until the final 30 seconds. I mean, this was so low energy and low effort. And this is from John Cena, a guy who is never short of effort. And I've never buried no, him. No, no, not at all. No, absolutely and, not. And Rusev, who I love, who I think is the most underpushed guy in the company. And those they two have just, had good matches in the past. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's some bad ones too. But they've yeah, had no, some for sure. good ones. You know? How many times is someone going to break the accolade? Can they bury this guy any further? We <laughs> talk about guy. People talk about wrestlers getting buried all the time when they shouldn't. Anyone loses a match, they're getting buried. And we know that's not true. They bury Rusev on a, on a fucking consistent basis. The accolade is the most, is the weakest finisher. In, I mean, Roman Reigns used to break this thing three times in a match. Yeah, there was a match where Roman Reigns broke the accolade three times. Once with a chain around his neck. And you got Cena breaking the accolade in this throwaway flag match. It doesn't even mean anything. Rich, this should have been a six-minute match. A Rusev beat down for a couple minutes. Cena makes the big comeback, grabs the dopey flag, sticks it in the stupid pedestal, and we all go and they send the kids home happy. Flag matches. Get what the hell out. was this 21 minutes for? Why is he breaking the accolade? I mean, are you kidding me? This was so bad, it was offensive. This was like watching... Put on your network and put on one of them house shows from the 80s. This was like a 20-minute fucking Ted R. C. D. Hercules Hernandez match <laughs> where neither one of them wants to take a bump. 
And they're just and but they got to eat up twenty minutes, and they work to a twenty minute draw in fucking Boston Garden. Yeah, I was gonna say the Boston Garden. I feel like they always yeah. <laughs> talk about the Boston Garden, and nobody's it's, fucking putting any effort. And it's a matinee because they got to get to DC to get to the Cap Center to work <laughs> right. the night show. Got to drive get right through a snowstorm to get to DC. <laughs> yeah, they got to get on the fucking highway to drive to DC and do the <laughs> same goddamn match in, in Washington DC and bore those people to tears. That, that's what this was. <laughs> And I like both of these guys. Oh, he's Boston Garden with those stupid yellow seats. Like, I, I mean, the second I see those yellow seats, I'm just like, oh, this match is going to suck. Like... I mean, Cena is a guy who struggles with ring rust. Remember when he came back to face Alberto Del Rio? Oh, God. <laughs> Remember how bad that was? Yeah, to be fair, that was a lot of it was Del Rio, too. But, but yeah, uh, no, no, listen, yeah, no, that was historically bad. Yeah, that was Cena just like, was oh, bad boy. In that match. Yeah. And this is why I love Cena. I do. We've been praising Cena. We praised Cena before it was cool. We did. But the thing about We're it is... hipster Cena hipsters, which is pretty sweet, yeah. We are. We're Cena hipsters. I love Cena, and I because you know I love effort. And here's a guy who puts in more effort than John Cena. But the thing about it, this is why I can never put John Cena on that upper-tier super elite level because he has too many matches like this. Rich, when did Masawa have a match like this? I mean, when did Kobashi have a match like this before he was broken down? When does Tanahashi have matches like this? Yeah, Singles matches. Stinkers, yeah. Cena has a lot when of stinkers. When does Okada have matches like this? When did, uh, you know, who, who do you want to name? You know, like, you know, can you think of a big time Terry Funk match that, that, where he had like like this or like the Del Rio match or, you know what I mean? It's like, that's yeah, why. Even, I even like peak Shawn Michaels. Like he always, Shawn I mean, there's Michaels. never like that super stinker Shawn Michaels match where you're like, oh God, that really sucked. This is why as much as I love John Cena, I can't put him on that level. I just can't. He's not Junakiyama. Come on. He's not. But he's great. Listen, he's he's an all-timer. But I can't put him on that uh that a super elite, best of the best, top 0.01 percentile. I can't do it. Because he has too many matches like this. And those other guys never have matches like this. Or the match against Del Rio. Or you could go down the line, the Randy Orton matches. So, I, I mean, very disappointing. Just, you know, uh, what else are we forgetting on this dreadful show? Oh, we got to get to this. <laughs> I, I was like, come on. Spare <laughs> in the leader. Okay. Shinsuke Nakamura. <laughs> there we go. Another guy who I can't put on that super elite level because the same fucking re- – this is a guy who just doesn't fucking try half the time. But here's the thing, Rich, and I want to ask you. And I'm going to bury Baron Corbin in a minute. Don't you, Baron Corbin? Okay, good. Like I was, was waiting. Yeah. <laughs> he's getting buried like a motherfucker. I'm burying the shit out of Baron Corbin in a minute. But Shinsuke Nakamura, Rich, I want to ask you. Do you blame him for the way he performs in WWE? Because that's been a big talking point this week. And it's like, okay, his body's broken down. You know, we get it. And, um, you know, he's probably, you know, I don't know for a fact that he's making more money than he was in new Japan yet. I mean, it's not like he's a WWE main eventer at this point. He's working undercards and prelims and um, he's probably making about the same money he was making in new Japan, maybe a little more. Uh, I don't think he's making millions of dollars by any stretch of the imagination yet in WWE. And maybe he will one day. Um, But, you know, do you support his decision to kind of come to this company and then knowing that he can get by on his charisma, or at least he thinks he could get by on his charisma because I, not so sure that he can if he keeps performing like this. Um, do you blame him? I mean, is he are you okay with the fact that he might feel that he's reached a point in his career where he can coast 
make the big money and not put his and maybe put his body on the line once or twice a year. Because the fact of the matter is, there, in a lot of people's eyes, I liked the Joe matches, but let's pretend that I didn't. No, like I didn't him. like him. So I mean, I'm I'm a guy that can definitely. You're someone. Who didn't yeah, like no, him. I I've liked exact. I think I've liked exactly one Nakamura match in, in WWE proper. It's, it's and, match. and a yeah. lot of people agree with you. Yeah, and it was the very first match. And again, was he smart enough to go all out in that match and make that great first impression? which would have helped him coast along now to where, you know, they made him the top guy in NXT. He knew they were going to do that regardless. And now he's on the main roster and, you know, he's going to chill until they, they put him in a, he probably doesn't give a fuck about a Baron Corbin program or a Dolph Ziggler program. Right. Am I off base here? Yeah. The, I, I just don't know how to judge him quite yet. I feel like I, I, I can't really answer that question fully until I, I want to see him against somebody that I'm like, all right, there is no way the Ziggler match. I don't know. Ziggler's kind of been in a weird headspace for a while. So I, I'm going to put that one kind of off the, cause that was one that I said, okay, this is going to have to deliver. This is have to be great. And, and it wasn't and Dolph Ziggler, but, but I think part of that maybe was Dolph. I think a part of that was, I want until I answer that, I want to see if Nakamura has a match against somebody that I go, okay, this guy is good. If he lays an egg in this match, now I know for sure something's up. Now I know for sure he's intentionally dogging it. Or I know for sure that I think there's partially just a, a, an inspiration thing where he's like, eh, whatever, like, Baron Cor- and, and do I blame him for doing that? I don't know necessarily. I mean, they hired him. They, you know, they, they kind of know what he's about. And, you know, if you know his history, you know, this is kind of the way he is. Yeah, I mean, I would personally like to see him be putting a little bit more effort, but maybe he goes in and goes, hey, this guy sucks. Like, there's nothing I can do that's going to make Baron Corbin look great. Or, or maybe Nakamura goes in there and, and says, hey, why don't we do this? And Baron Corbin, ah, fuck that. Or the agents say, I'll do this. Like, there's a lot of factors at hand here that, that, that sort of stifle creativity and stifle a guy like a Nakamura. So I can absolutely see that. But then again, he's a guy who also dogged it in New Japan at times. Uh, many times, actually, in fact. So I don't know. I, for me, the, the, the real litmus test is going to be the match because I don't think he's had that quite yet in, in main roster WWE. The match where where it's Nakamura versus X, and if that match blows, then we're going to really have a chance to say, okay, what's going on here? Because then I'll be able to answer that and say, okay, now I kind of do I blame him or not? Because right now I don't know if it's intentional or just bad circumstances. Right now I think he's he's facing Cena. Is it next week on SmackDown? Yeah. Okay, that'll be a big one. I mean, Cena, like you said, still has to work the uh, the the but the, the rust off a little bit. But that's a big spot. So if Nakamura doesn't go up for that and doesn't realize this is a big deal and just kind of works his way, you know, half assed as that one, then okay, then we have to we have a talk and then we can kind of say, okay, this is this is not good or this is whatever. But part of me can't blame him because maybe this is all he wanted to do. Hey, let me sign to WWE. I'm gonna coast. I'm good. And you know what? Hey, if 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 it doesn't affect his spot in the company, which you know I, I think it might at some point, like you said. Uh, I can't necessarily blame the guy. I mean, personally, I would like to see him put more effort, but I don't know. It's a very interesting question, but I really need to see him against somebody good and, and somebody that I really go into that match saying, okay, this needs to be good or this should be good, and then it's not. I'll then... Here's my thing with Knock. This is not a new narrative. We've been talking about this no, for this years. Is, this is going years on now, yeah. It, it, this may be new to some people, but we've been talking about this for years where this guy, it's very clear when he doesn't give a shit and he decides to coast. This is a guy who would coast in G1s. Yeah. Okay. His last G1, and yeah, people are going to say he was injured. I, listen, everybody works the G1 injured, okay? You're injured by night three. This is a guy who would coast in the G1s until it be, until they got to Sumo Hall. So this isn't a new narrative with him. And, and let's be honest. I mean, I, I think we've kind of said this on this site too, and I know you and I have talked about it too. We both like Nakamura, but I mean, people – the, the love for Nakamura was mostly gifts and funny faces and stuff. Let, let's be honest. As, as far as like an all-time great ring worker, I, I don't know that he's had that resume in terms of other guys of these past. At least I don't think so. I think he's had a rich. 
I think he's at a few top 10, 5, 10. What? Let me ask you your question. Okay. He's had plenty of great matches. There's no question about that. Did you vote for him for the Hall of Fame? Hell no. Neither did I. Okay. So it's like, you know, and, and there was this whole thing when he was in New Japan where there was this segment of fans who were pushing, oh, you know, Nakamura should get a run with the title. And, uh, you know, why is it all about Okada and this and that? And weren't we the ones leading the pack saying that it just makes no sense at all? I mean, so it's not like any of this is new with Nakamura. Uh, you know, we knew he was a guy who would turn it on and turn it off. Um, you know, he was a guy who, by the way, had a chance to be on top of New Japan. And during some of the worst era of their business ever, uh, he was on top. Um, and, and you know, it's and, – and the fact of the matter is uh, they haven't missed him. They've grown without Nakamura. And, you know, I, I know this sounds like a Nakamura bass session. I really don't – I like the guy. I do like him. But none of this is new. None of it's new. These Baron Corbin and Dolph Ziggler matches, you know what they are? They're the New Japan tag matches that he didn't give a shit and didn't take a bump and tagged in once and made funny faces and got cheers and then tagged out and and he disappeared with Makabe. You know, like that's that's what these matches are to him, I think. And I think that he's waiting to get that big. But here's the thing. I think he's playing a dangerous game because this is a company loaded with stars or people that they perceive to be stars. And there is, we talked about there's a working standard and there's especially a working main event standard in this company, uh, which is funny to say on a show that Jinder Mahal main evented. Uh, but, but, you know, it, maybe if he doesn't deliver, he, he falls out of grace with the wrong people and he never gets that main event push. That's entirely possible. So, right, Vince, Vince is a fickle guy. If he goes, what the hell is this guy? What are we doing about this guy? Get him out of here. And, and yeah, it could be something where, you know, Vince one day wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and goes, I don't like this guy. We're done with him. And let's face it. He's already got his, his, the fact that he's Japanese working against him. Right. <laughs> he's, he's, he's... Okay. Let's be honest here. So it's not going to take much for the, 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 the power brokers that matter uh, to give up on the guy as, as a main event player. I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, on main event. But, you know, could he end up in a Dolph Ziggler spot? Sure. You know, especially if if Japan never becomes a priority the way India has. Now, if they decide on a win, if, if Vince McMahon decides in a meeting, in a board meeting somewhere that he wants to go all in on Japan, this guy's getting pushed. Right place, right time, we said. <laughs> you know, um, but I mean, you know, it's, None of this is surprising to me. The lack of effort in these matches or the lack of perceived effort shouldn't be a surprise to anyone who watched this guy in New Japan. I mean, this has been his MO for years. This isn't anything new. Now, as far as Baron Corbin goes, Rich, I have heard enough. This guy stinks, okay? It's not even – I used to give him the benefit of the doubt and say this guy was average. He's okay. This This guy's a bum. This guy's a shit bum. Baron Corbin's a shit bum. That's what he is. Okay, what the fuck was with that bear hug spot? You want to talk about 1985 <laughs> yeah, WWE house show? Boston Garden, baby. There we go. Why are we doing five minute bear hug spots on major WWE pay per views in 2017? This guy doesn't have a clue. And listen, to his defense, he's a fucking rookie. For all intent and purpose, this guy's still a rookie, even though he's fucking pushing 40 or however old he's got. What is he like, 34 or something like that? What's he's not Corbin a kid, right? We looked, at, we looked this up not that long ago, but let's. Uh, How much better do you think he's going to get? He's 32, already two. Thirty-two. All right, so he's thirty-two years old already. He's a thirty-two-year-old rookie. 
And he doesn't know how to control a match and work from the top. He's, he's, he's grabbing bear hugs. What tapes is he watching in the PC? Don Morocco tapes, apparently. We know he's not watching fucking Dragon Gate tapes. Yeah, yeah. what is he watching? I, I think he's watching those Ted RCD Hercules matches. <laughs> right. I mean, come on, guy. He sucks. He's so bad. He's not good. He's getting quieter. The, the oh, Baron Corbin's great. Quiet. Big Banter Baron. Oh, no, Big Baron Corbin. Okay. okay right, yeah. can, let me ask you a serious question about Baron Corbin. If he wasn't funny on Twitter, do you think he would oh, God, get no. the praise he gets? Oh, hell no. You no. think it's totally the Big Banter thing? I think it is. Well, and then there's the which weird leads like. leads into, oh, he's a great worker, too. Yeah, there's also the reverse hipster thing where, like, if most people think he sucks, there's a certain segment that are always going to be like, no, he's great. Because, you know, that it's it's that, you know, so hipster, I disagree with. You know, it, it's that sort of thing, too, where, like, they know he's. I mean, what the he, fuck does this guy do well? Yeah. I mean, how could you Tell honestly. Me. Yeah, face to face, say yeah, he's he's good. He's I mean, the guy's trash. He looks like garbage too. That's the other thing too. If this guy was like a Jinder Mahal, I get why they like Jinder Mahal. I, I absolutely get it. But the reason Bar- Baron Corbin is so much the Vince thinks Paul is strong, <laughs> and like the dude looks like a sack of shit. Like Baron I know he's Corbin an ex NFL player. I know he's a does it look like an athlete? But he looks yeah, he looks like the least athletic person I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, he looks like a bar fly at the biker bar. He doesn't even look like an athlete. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't look athletic. He doesn't no. look tough. He's prematurely balding. We've been over this. He's got he's, – he's skinny fat. So he doesn't have a good look. He doesn't have a marketable look. He'll never be a big-time baby face. What is the appeal with this guy? He stinks. And they're pushing this guy? I think that's it. He's fucking tall. What else does he have going for him? Seven feet tall. Or whatever the hell he is. He's 32 years old. He's not going to get any better. <laughs> okay. If he was rich, if he was 22, I would pump the brakes. You know what I'm saying? He's 32 years old. I'd rather have punishment Martinez. <laughs> I mean, that would also. He is turn. the poor man. He is the poor man's punishment Martinez at this point, which is. Uh... He's a poor man's punishment Martinez. He really is. He throws a nice clothesline now and then. But let me tell you something. You know. Those are real nice clotheslines when Shinsuke Nakamura is taking a 360 bump off of them or when Callisto is flying all over the ring for you or when Dolph Ziggler, the best bumper on earth, is flying all over the place for you. When has Baron Corbin ever had a good match that didn't involve Dolph Ziggler or Callisto bouncing all over the ring for him and doing all of the work? When? Name the match. It's always these guys flying around the ring for him. And granted, that's their job, and they do a great, they've done a great job making this guy look good in those matches. But I mean, look at a match like this where Knock clearly didn't want to work. Baron Corbin looks like shit. Knock took one bump in that match, <laughs> a flip bump on the on the on the lariat. Right. That that lariat where Corbin slid out of the ring and then sl- he did the boss man spot. You know the boss man spot. Yeah, boss yeah, man. It's a similar to the old boss man spot. He slides back in on the other corner. Those and are the tapes. He's watching like '88 boss man. <laughs> Well, he should. 88 boss man ruled. He'll uh, never no, be. What am I thinking? No, I'm thinking. Yeah, no. I, uh... He'll never be half as good. What am I as, thinking? As, as boss man, when he first boss came in, when boss man first came in, I'm trying to think of when there was a time where he played up like he was just like bear hug guy for a while. Then he, yeah, no, there was. Am I thinking of like 87? Maybe then you're thinking of um, there was a brief period where boss man first came in where he worked like typical. WWE yeah, that, that's that, yeah. Because no, by yeah, you're right. By eighty eight, eighty nine, he, he, he had gotten pretty good. Yeah, what a, boss man was a maybe eight, late eighty six or whatever. He first came in, he was yeah. like 
standard, you know, big man. And then you realize, wait a minute, I'm not that big. I might as well straight just... off the big bubble run. Straight yeah, off right, the big right. bubble run. Right, right, right. Yeah. He was very heavy at that time too, True, and then yeah. he lost the weight, and he was awesome. And then he had like that that good all Japan run. He yeah, you know, Baron Corbin wishes he was half as good as Big Boss Man. I mean, come on, that's not even close. But I mean, this guy. I mean, you know, I just don't see it. Guy's a shit bum. But uh, what else did we did we do every match on this card or what? Uh, pretty much. Uh, yeah, let's move on. To, I don't want to talk about Battleground anymore. Battleground sucks. You're just yeah. Well, we did every match. That was it. This was a bad show. No, I don't want to go over the other Battlegrounds either. Who, who, who the fuck cares? We didn't do the best match on the show. I mean, the tag title match was great. Yeah, and it's unfortunate <laughs> that that's getting no time because we've got to do Dragon Gate. But um, that really was a great match. I thought the finish was awesome because very quickly, Xavier Woods does the the rope walk elbow and takes that sick super kick. Oh my god! <laughs> they what shot a great it spot. Too. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't cut away seven times while it was happening, but they, they incredible got spot. But see, what was great about that is that that kicked off a series of hot near falls for both sides. Mm-hmm. Then Kofi hits Trouble in Paradise on Jay, and then Xavier Woods hits the uh, the rope walk elbow to win the match. So he ended up hitting that move to win anyway, which I thought was cool since he got thwarted earlier in the match. So the match told a nice little story. It had hot near falls towards the end. You know, one of the best tag team title matches of the year, I would say. Oh, yeah, which for is, sure. Yeah. Which is a nice bridge to Kobe World because um, let's start with that match because – Are we going to have time for your super secret segment or no? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Let's squeeze it in right now. Okay. So, all right. Let's do it. Our new segment, and we had to do Battleground first. It's called Will Rich Bury the Pundit is the name of this segment. Ooh, okay. All right. Here we go. I've got three wrestling pundits who made <laughs> tweets this week. <laughs> How do I bury what what is the do I say yes or no? Like how you do I either like, agree with the pundit or you okay. bury the pundit? That's okay, how okay. it works. All right, so it's I can't even think that their point is good, even if I disagree. It's it's, it's no, you either well no, you're the, the game is will rich bury the pundit. Okay. Okay. Pro wrestling pundit number one is Dave Meltzer. We're gonna start with the number one pro wrestling. Oh, pundit. you should you should not tell me who the guy is and then that see if that affects my decision at all. I think you're gonna know though, because you know the tweets. Oh, that's but true. Okay. we'll do it that way. The next two I won't tell you. Okay, all right. Dave Meltzer said earlier this week that no WrestleMania can touch night three of this year's G1. <laughs> Rich, do you agree with Dave Meltzer or will you bury the oh, pundit? Night three was good, but I, I, I'm going to have to bury him on that one. I think WrestleMania 17 is, is, is certainly up there. So it was no, better I, than night three. Yeah, of the G1. yeah that, that's a little hyperbole in the moment. Here's the thing. Dave. I don't even think night three was the best night this year. <laughs> no, that's the other thing too. Like, there's been better nights, and they've been better nights in like previous G ones too. So yeah, that, that's lofty to, to to say that. That's that's in the moment, Big Dave. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna have to bury him on that one. I too will bury the pundit. I'm burying Big Dave. I think night one was the best night so far. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, same with you. And uh, no, I think there have probably been WrestleManias that were more entertaining than night three of this year's G one. Um, Not this year's you know, mania, but previous manias. <laughs> night three was good though too. That you know, a lot of good matches, but. Um, that had the Abushi Zack Saber Jr. Yeah, that was the night I reviewed on, uh, for the site. And I said, yeah, it was very good, but, like you know. But yeah, no, it was certainly not like yeah, the pageantry of a wrestling, wrestling events I've ever seen. Yeah, no, that, that's that's lofty. Yeah, no. So Dave, I'm gonna have to bury you there, Dave. Sorry. Okay, I've got I've got three here. Here's pundit number two. I will not give you who it is. Okay. Uh, will <laughs> I think Rich that's gonna make it more fun if you don't. This pundit says, and I'm paraphrasing. Toro Yano yearly is the best thing about the G1. <laughs> the most important thing 
in the G one. Whoa, no, there. I don't know. I don't know who you are. I don't care who you are. You're 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 dumb and you're wrong. So I'm paraphrasing the tweet. The tweet was along the lines of people put down Toroyano, but Toroyano is the most important thing every year in the G one. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to bury, bury the pundit. I'm going to bury whoever that is. Yeah. I'm going to bury the pundit too. I think this is a pundit going too far in the other direction to defend Toroyano. Toroyano isn't even close to the most important thing in any G1 that he's in. In fact, I would argue that Toroyano is usually one of the least important. Yeah, he's useful. Useful is the word I would use. Useful for the scoring, but I think if you replace Toroyano with somebody else, I, I think you could figure out a way to score it without him. He's like, not the most important part of any G1. That's massive hyperbole. Do you want to know who the pundit was? I do, yes. Trask Bryant of Wrestling With Words okay. was the pundit. So yeah. you have buried both pundits. Uh, <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like my bury percentage is going to be very high. But Pundit is number this, three. Is this to get the secretly sassy out of people? It is. There's okay, a point right. here because yeah. I'm always the bad guy. So I want you to bury people so it evens out. Right, okay. Here's, pu- here's pundit number three, and we'll leave about 20 minutes for uh, Dragon Gate, which should be more than enough time as Dragon Gate gets screwed again. Mm-hmm. Um, you will recognize the pundit, but maybe the listeners won't. Okay. This pundit, after, and this is why we needed to do Battleground first. After Battleground, this pundit uh, proclaimed that the Usos were a top five WWE tag team of all time. <laughs> I, know. I do know who this is, and, uh, and I love you, man, but no. <laughs> That's, uh... You're saying no. Okay, now he gave his top five. Yeah, it's, uh, no, actually, you know what? Honestly, the, 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 Putting the Yosos in the top five wasn't the worst part of that tweet. So I'm going to give you the top five. The Rockers, the Revival, the Rockers, the Revival, the Hardys, Eminem, (laughs) and the Usos. This pundit says are the top five tag teams in WWE. Rich Krejci, this is a two-parter. Are you burying the pundit for putting the Usos in the top five? And are you burying his top five? Um, yes and yes. Yeah. As far as the uses, I, I could see a fringe case for them. Uh, but no, I'm going to bury them right now. I just don't think they're at that level right now. And I'm absolutely burying the list because Eminem is on the list. What? Well, Rich, you Mercury know that and Morrison. I know who the pundit is because I, I, I almost wanted to, to text him and say, what in God's name got into you? Like, what the you pundit talking? of course is Dylan Hales. Yeah. Eminem? <laughs> what? <laughs> I got to tell you. I gotta like, tell you, Rich. I, I always wanted to ask him, like, what Eminem matches did I see? Because I had a different TV for like seven years then, apparently during the Eminem, or the fuck three years when the, during the Eminem run. Like, I am, yeah, I, I, the Eminem one got me by surprise. This, this was a clean sweep. Rich buried Dave Meltzer. <laughs> he buried Trask Bryant. He buried Dylan Hales, and he buried Dylan Hales twice. So you, this was a clean sweep. You have buried for four, four yeah. I agree with Dylan Hales. I think the Usos are a top five WWE tag team of all time. I've been thinking about this all day. Um, okay, that's fair. Now, I don't agree with his top five overall. I do agree <laughs> that the Rockers – I agree that the Rockers are the greatest WWE tag team of all time. I, I think that one is relatively easy. Um, I would put the Usos in the top five. Rich, when you think about it, they've been around since about 2011. Yeah, we had that conversation a few weeks ago. That Yeah, they've had a super long run there. So, yeah, I, I could see it. Yeah, for sure. Rich, there's not a lot of teams that have as many matches on tape in this company as the Usos. And of the ones that do, they're better than most of them. Are they better than the Bushwhackers? Yeah. <laughs> I think the answer is pretty easy. A um, lot of the teams that I would put pretty – oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Match for match, would you take them over – uh, demolition. Um, 
I, I really liked like peak demolition. So I that, that's gonna be tough for me, but I, I could maybe make a case for that. But that one's a little tough for me. I, I've I've always been a big demolition fan. I think I'd have the Usos in my top five. I think I'd have the Rockers for sure. They'd be my number one. I'd have the Usos in there somewhere. I'd have the British Bulldogs on my list. <laughs> that's that's who I would add too. Um, and then the other two, you know, the Hardys would have to be contenders, but I was never a big Hardy guy. The Revival's an interesting one. Here's my problem with putting the Revival on that list. I think if you put the Revival, you have to put Gargano and, and Ciampa. Reason being, they had those great matches against each other. And yes, the Revival had those great matches against American Alpha, but Gargano and Ciampa had those great matches against uh, Authors of Pain, which I think were very comparable to the Revival American Alpha matches. I, I Look, and, and the other thing about the Revival is I don't even think they have 20 matches on tape in company history. So, you know, I don't know about the revival on a list like this. Yeah, that, that kind of, especially if, if we're going to do guys that had short runs or whatever, there's guys that I would add. I would add the Brain Busters in there. I would add uh, the Steiner Brothers in there. I would add, I'm thinking, that, I don't know how you define the Shield, but they, you know, maybe find a way to, to sneak them in there. I mean, they had a pretty uh, incredible uh, run. So, yeah, that, that's the only issue. If we're just doing like shorter runs or whatever, that really opens it up to a lot of guys. Like, then I think now you can make a case. Did for the, did the Brain Busters have matches on the level that the revival had against Alpha and DIY? I don't think that they did. Uh, maybe not. Uh, yeah, I mean, a few of those demolition. There was that two out of three falls demolition match that I do fucking love. But um, yeah, maybe not to the same extent. But no, so I see that. But yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's an interesting question there. I, I, I the revival's a weird one to put on there. Just Are you there. still? Did I make a good enough case for the Usos? Oh uh, no, I could see that. I could definitely see the Usos. I mean, my list would be. I, I think I'd have the Rockers on there. I'd have the Bulldogs. Um, I think I would go with the Brainbusters. I really did enjoy their run. They're um, only there about a year and a half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, maybe a little less actually. But uh, and then a few of the others. I mean, the Heart Foundation. I mean, yeah, that was kind Heart of Foundation. Look, how, let me tell you something about the Heart Foundation. Awesome matches on the road with the Bulldogs. You know, we talk about those house shows that we made fun of in the last segment. A lot of those tag matches on those house shows were, were some hot. Those were usually the highlights, and it was usually the Heart Foundation versus the Bulldogs. Killer Bees had a lot of good house show matches. Strike Force had a lot of good house show matches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That era of tag teams was very good. Then you had an era of tag teams that wasn't very good at all, where it was just putting stars together. And I don't think you'd want to. What about a team like Edge and Christian? Yeah, there's certainly one that I would I would absolutely put on. Uh, you know, I maybe mean, not in my top five, but they would be in the contention. Uh, one that that I think people are going to forget is that you know the team Hell No, the Kane and, and Daniel Bryan, they had a lot of really good matches in their in their shortish run that they have up there. But yeah, really top tier type stuff. You know, the the Shield uh, one with them and Ryback and the Shield or whatever is a, a great match. So yeah, it's really interesting. It really the problem. It, it, the thing about it, when you talk about WWE tag teams, that's why initially I kind of laughed at the tweet, and then I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, there's not really like. It's There's not like it's not you really like you get three like I get an easy three and then I'm just kind of like mm. then I have like 20 other teams that could compete for those last two spots. So it, it's, it's yeah. tricky there. I, when it comes to the Usos, though, they really have a lot of matches on tape and it, I think it'd be hard to leave them off because they've had a lot of really good matches on yeah, tape. That's, so fair. that's fair. I'm not Eminem in there. <laughs> 2000 Eminem. I don't I don't see it either. I, I, I loved Eminem. I really like them as a tag team, but I I don't know if I get them in a top five. I mean, that's what I think that's really pushing it. But as far as the Usos go, remember in 2011, they wrestled almost exclusively on superstars. And I think I still voted them my tag team of the year in the observer awards. They were that good just on matches that nobody saw unless you were a maniac like me and you were watching superstars. So 
I don't know, man. I I might have to uh, agree with the pundit on that one. I, I do think the Usos are probably a top five WWE tag team of all time. So that was the inaugural edition of Which Go, Go Rich nice. Bury the Pundit. So uh, we will be playing that semi-frequently here. So far, the answer is yes. You will bury <laughs> everyone, lot. apparently. I like your idea of not naming the pundit, though. That way you can't be – you can't play politics. Yeah, because I can't be swayed by it. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Kobe World. Kobe World. What'd you think of the show overall? Um, it was long-ish. Uh, the file was long. There was a lot of intermissions, but uh, no. As far as the show itself, uh, good. I, I think here, here's the thing with Dragon Gate this year, and I think it's a big reason why we haven't really talked about it that much. And if you listen to Open the Voice, getting a lot of real you know hardcore Dragon Gate fans all kind of had the same thing. Is there just seems to be a little something missing with Dragon Gate right now, where the emotional attachment isn't quite there for a lot of the stories, a lot of the characters, a lot of the units. Like the wrestling is as good as it's always. I mean, Dragon Gate wrestling, it's almost boringly good. Like halfway through the show, I'm watching it and I'm like, these guys are just so good. It's it's almost I just want guys to just have a stinker. I just want like one match where it just sucked. Because you kind of get lulled into it. You're just watching a match and you don't even realize, like, oh shit, a lot of really fun stuff has happened in this match. Like the the uh the, the Brave Gate match we'll talk about here in a little bit. Like I go back and I watch the like the match is over and I'm like, Yeah, that was fine. And then I watch the gifts and I'm like, those were incredible. Like that match was great. Like, yeah. why did I not think that match was better? But they almost kind of lull you in because everything is so solid. Uh, but it was all said and done though. I mean, there was there just seemed to be something missing from the show. It just seemed very inconsequential and and there wasn't the same emotions that you usually get with a Kobe world. Or you I'm going to tell you why. Yeah, go ahead. Because no matter how good a show is, if the main event sucks, it really brings the show down. Yeah, because – um, yeah, no, go ahead. Yamato is not a good champion. I'm not uh, feeling it, yeah. I'm not and feeling I, I love Yamato too, and I'm just not feeling it. I, you know what, though? I, I've decided that I don't like him as a world champion. You like him as a tag guy? Mostly? I know he's had better runs than this, but I'm never in love with any of his world title runs. I, I like him better – I think I like him better as like the number two guy in his unit. Okay. You know what I mean? And I think I like him better as a tag guy because the tag team with Doi obviously is one of the, my favorite tag teams ever in the company. Um, and, and I just don't like him as a world champion. There's something there. His, his promos don't seem to connect with the crowd. Um, and he just doesn't have the right kind of charisma, world champion charisma, uh, in my opinion, especially as a baby face, you know, uh, as yeah, a heel. I like I like him him yeah, yeah, I don't like him know, as a I, I, I prefer him as a heel. And the other problem here with this main event was, you know, we talked about Baron Corbin is a shit bum. T Hawk is a shit bum. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's I, I've, we're, we're done with that. I think I've had it with T Hawk. <laughs> two, um, two Kobe World uh, main events. I think it's time to now just kind of put him off to the side. Look, he's 26 years old. I get it. Unlike Baron Corbin, there's some room for growth, and I do think he's a much better wrestler than Baron Corbin. Um, oh, you know what? He's not much better. <laughs> you know, no, he's, he's better. Not good. I mean, we we can. He's young. Yeah. He's young and raw, I guess we could say. That's all That's he has going for him. There's room for growth with him. And, and he's working on an incredible roster where there's almost you almost can't avoid getting better. Um, but, you know, he's not that, he's not that great of a rally. He just isn't. Um, you know, and, and th- th- he just lacks charisma. And there's just something missing. He draws nothing out of the crowd. He draws absolutely zero out of the crowd. I mean, that was supposed to be his crowning moment after he's battled to King of Gate and and, and proven all the critics wrong or whatever, and they didn't give a fuck. He kicked out of uh, Yamato's finish. I'm blanking on the name of it right now. You're not going to know it either. I don't even know why I asked. But uh, you're asking me. (laughs) Absolutely the worst person to ask. But whatever Yamato's finish is, and I feel like an asshole for not remembering it, Yamato hits it on T-Hawk, and T-Hawk kicks out, and the crowd doesn't make a fucking noise. And, and then, then Yamato hits it again as a modified and then pins him and they st- they don't make a noise again. You mean like the, that, you're was, just, that was his I don't know if it's the, that was the I don't know if it's the same I don't know if it's the same point but there was a one count kick out where no one reacted. 
And I think that might be the it might be the same, same one. Yeah, maybe about. it is that same one. But yeah, it was just like, that's the big moment. That's supposed to be the, oh my God, like this guy, he's, you know, he, he might lose here, but my God, look at it. And they didn't give a fuck. He kicked out and they went, mm, okay. Yeah. And then Yamato hit another move and they went, okay, good. Or it's over now. No drama down the stretch of the match. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, it just, you know, that one count kickout was sad. It was one yeah. of the saddest one know, count kickouts I've guy. ever I seen. Was like, oh, it, boy. Was, <laughs> it was a one, when a one count kickout doesn't work, because no one cares. That's one of the sadder things in wrestling. Um, but yeah, so I think that's what hurt the show because Rich, I thought the rest of the show was pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Brave Gate match, I, you know, I love Kajitora. I think when Kajitora cares and Kajitora tries, and he's a guy whose effort directly relates to his push, and he's being pushed right now, he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. The guy is smooth as silk. Um, I thought he worked an excellent match here against Flamita trying to ground Flamita. He had a plan here. They told a nice little story here. He tried to wrestle rough with Flamita. Take him down. Take yeah, him off his fly feet. With Flamita. Don't even bother. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was a struggle for Flamita to get off some of his flying maneuvers and to get off the ground. And Kajatora fought dirty, you know? And uh, I thought, you know, they had an excellent match. Um, I went, what did I go on that match? I went uh, four and a quarter on that match. I thought it was a four, four on the dot. I'm sorry, four on the dot. Uh, I thought that was neck and neck with the Twin Gate match, uh, which I loved. I thought Shima Dragon Kid versus uh, the real Speed Muscle, not uh, not Strongman <laughs> and uh, Nakanishi to come full circle here. I, look, that was right there with that Usos New Day match. You know, these were two great world tag team title matches on the same day, as a matter of fact. I think it was the same day, right? The, uh, the 23rd, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One was in the wee hours of the morning uh, here, and the other was, uh, you know, late, later that night. But uh, two great world tag team title matches on the same day. Now, I know a lot of hardcore Dragon Gate fans are upset that Speed Muscle lost, and they're sick and tired of the Shima dragon kid tag team but i'm not i like shima and i like dragon kid and i like their team and i i you know um and and i don't have a problem with them retaining the titles here um i I know the counter argument is that it's kind of stalls the momentum of of doi in particular um but you know let's see where it goes from here i know people are sick of that rain and they're screaming at their radios right now since i'm playing the let it play out card but, um, you know, we're going to have this big unit disbanding coming up with one of these units, and we'll just have to see what happens. Uh, but uh, what did you think of the Twin Gate match? I thought it was excellent. Yeah, I, I really loved it. I thought it was uh, – Sa- and Dragon Kid uh, is a guy who – similar to Tomohiro uh, Tomo Ishii, like you mentioned the G1, where, like, I always don't remember that I love Dragon Kid <laughs> until I see him yeah. in the ring, and I'm just like, fuck, this guy's so good. Like, I, I forget, and I'm kind of like, ah, Dragon Kid, whatever. And then he busts out, you know, a, a spring or a Karana. I'm just like, god damn, he's fucking awesome. Like, And he's been great for so long, too. So I, I love Dragon Kid, and, th- and that always drags me into any of his matches. My thing was I would almost have went with the title switch here just because this man, this entire show felt like there wasn't much of consequence that happened on it. And with a big show like that's a Kobe, uh, you know, Kobe world, you, you think you're going to get some of that. Like Brave Gate, they retain. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. Triangle Gate, the guys retain. Twin Gate, they retain. You know, Yamato was going to retain. So it just felt like everything was just kind of the same. Once it was all said and done, it felt like at the end of the show, you were lacking like any sort of different direction or anything different. So if it was going to be any of those matches, the one that you look at, you look at the twin game, okay, look, Masato Yoshino's come back from injury. It makes a lot of sense that he would come and, and get the triumphant win and, 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 and get the momentum of Doi then, like you said. So it made sense for them to win in the context of, of the story, to me at least, but they didn't go that way. I don't have a huge issue with it because I don't hate Shima and Dragon Kid. I just thought, given how the rest of the show played out, if you were going to do something and have something feel a little bit different or be, you know, a real match of consequence, I would have had, uh, you know, Speed Muscle win here. But 
you know, is it going to destroy, you know, my thoughts on Dragon Gate? Is it, did it ruin the show for me? Not at all. Because the match itself was incredible and I really loved it. But Do you like the Brave Gate or the Twin Gate better? Um, I think the Twin Gate better. Yeah, I think I'll give a slight edge to the Brave Gate. I went four on the dot on both of them, though. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I like the Twin Gate a little bit more. But Did you like any of the other matches better than those two? Uh, you know what? Of- I really. It's hard to really do these separately, but I really love the Triangle Gate uh, No One Contenders uh, matches. I mean, the one that I I really really loved the 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 